Hello, boys. How are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Very good. Thank you. Uh, well, here's another one. Good one. I hope we're enjoying a bit of time together with family now that we can be five people in a house. Mm. Yeah. It's five adults, is it? Yeah. And as many children. No, count. as long as they're from the same family. Well, yeah, that's what I was trying to make for it. Yes. Five adults and all their kids. Not six, not four, five. Okay. Yeah, the virus actually travels from one house to the next. If it sees six, it, it, it <laughs> once, gets to, once you have six people in a room at the same time, everyone dies. <laughs> I'll get to you, man. But Bunnings is immune. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you have to line up in those cages. They look like sheep pens before you go yeah. in the morning. Yeah, well, it's a bit like it's this, a, you know. It's, a, it's the visual representation of what the government's been doing to us for three months, mate. Oh, yeah. The sheep pen. That's, that's yeah, Bunnings. It's, it's like ten people in the bus. Yeah. But uh, everyone can be next to each other on the plane. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an amazing thing. But you, you, know, you don't understand stuff like this. So everyone can be next to each other on the plane. Yep. When you're eating, probably you. I don't know what you're gonna do with the mask. But you can only be <laughs> ten in the, in a restaurant. So like, imagine going to Muse and there's ten people, mate. You'd feel like in a ghost house. Yeah. I went to one. I went to a cafe the other day to get a coffee. <laughs> It's a massive cafe. Like they've got so much floor space and they're allowed their 10 people in. I think it was the first day. It was on Saturday morning. Yeah. So they'd chosen to seat the 10 people at the front door. So you had to walk to get your takeaway coffee. Past those people. <laughs> you had to walk through those people. So two problems. One, why the fuck would you put your tables there? And two, why would you eat there? <laughs> <laughs> and they, they literally had – they'd have 100 square metres, I reckon, of floor space at this place in Gosford. <laughs> and we're wow. trying to get our co- excuse me, excuse me, it's ten people in the joint and you're still bumping into everyone. Yeah. I think people have become a lot more mindful of others, which is great. It's a great thing to say. It's something that I noticed when I travelled to Japan years ago that the Japanese had this intrinsic value of mindfulness for others, which a lot of us didn't. I think it has created that, whether it be for our own personal safety or whatever, but I've seen that. But then I've also seen some you know, people be a bit rude to each other and go, you know, someone's standing there in queue and someone wants to walk past. They go, can you move? Well, can you walk around? <laughs> I mean... I pushed in at the bakery this morning. Mate, the rule's 1.5 metres, not 6 metres. She's standing back there and I knew she was there before me, but I'm like, that's too much space. I'm filling that gap. But you Straight had a shot in. at me for standing, keeping my car at the fucking fuel pump. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd already ordered my coffee and I was just going in to pay, but she didn't know that, so the look on her face was... <laughs> All right, let's have a look at our wines, guys. So what's no, up with this wine today? Well, this is a... It's called Wenty. It's from California. It's a Chardonnay from the Livermore Valley. It's 2018. It's called Morning Fog. Now, I stumbled across this at... Your place, TL. So mm-hmm. when we are in a bit of a rush this morning, I saw it on the shelf and went, yep. So you probably know more about the wine than I do, seeing yep. you had a fridge full of it. What can well, you tell us? Can't tell you much, mate. <laughs> Californian wine, obviously, That's has right. been a, uh, a bit of a challenge. Nobody thought they'd be able to um, make wines in the Napa Valley. Not only they did, but they highly successful at it. And the Chardonnay is probably... To me, it reminds me of the old Australian Chardonnay style, which is very wooden, very buttery, you know, that kind of heaviness so that if you mm. have it with seafood, oh, it's just like butter and prone, you know? We've had so it. Why don't we try it? Mm. Anyway, so we've, what's happening for the moment? What about the bashing that we're giving China for the moment and uh, the mm. game that they're playing with us? Crazy, isn't it? Crazy times. Problem it's, is, I don't know, you guys might... It's a funny thing, eh, boys, that uh, two weeks ago, what is it? We spoke about gratitude and and, and the need to not blame anyone. Cheers, boys. Yeah, cheers. Mm. 
is that? That is nice. So we've had California wine on here before. Thomas has brought a red and a fat bastard's California Chris. You bought a case of that, didn't you? I did buy a case. It's gone. <laughs> Got delivered last night. It lasted a week. <laughs> wow. No, that's delicious. That's yeah. yeah, a nice one. Um, I'm not too – like my knowledge on the whole China and the relationship with the rest of the world isn't great, so, but – I don't know, from someone who doesn't have a lot of knowledge, if we piss them off too much, we have no industry in this country anymore. Everything's coming out of China. So how stuffed are we if the fight keeps going and they, it can they be. blockade us? We, we don't actually make anything in this country anymore. So all the stuff that we rely on from China, we're in a bit of trouble. We can't just start manufacturing again on, at the drop of a hat, can we? They, they've also got to see what they need to manufacture what they're manufacturing. A lot of that raw material comes from us and we have a lot. But the problem is now we were supplying them I don't know how many hundreds of millions of tonnes of barley. And apparently now they've gone to the US to get that. Of all places, mm. they've gone to the US to get that. And that was one of the things. I think the biggest problem was Australia was the first one to put up their hand and say, we need to call for a commission into this the COVID-19. And now they've got a support of like a hundred and something other countries to say, yes, we agree. I don't think we were first, mate. Donald Trump was calling it the China virus before. No, no. He was calling it, but Australia actually called for, for an investigation into it. They were the first country to say, listen, we need to create a get to the bottom of this. And um, that's where China's arced up. That's why they're pointing the finger at us and they're you know, upset with us, so to speak. It'll be interesting. I mean, it's, it's across all industries and across all aspects of life what happens in the wash-up because I think we're going to realise, obviously, America's already realised how dependent they are on China. Yeah, but I, I think it's good, man. Personally, I think this is a bloody good wake-up call for our government to make sure that, yeah, we need to be more dependent on ourselves. Yep. So if we can go through COVID-19, man, we, we can go through waiting for our infrastructure to restart properly. But I think the government needs to really get rid of all those red tapes and all that garbage and stamp duties and more taxes and reduce electricity and do some real shit. Because if they can spend billions on just trying to give people a bit of a handout, maybe they should spend a few billions just to make sure electricity is cheaper. For us, that uh, maybe they should invest and spend money on making sure that, you know, things stay here. Yep. Then there's no problem. I was listening to a, this company that used to make 2 million masks a year. Now in the last five months, they did 60 mil. The machine's been going 24-7, but they can do this. And I think it's a bloody good wake-up call. We have to rely on ourselves. Why do we put our eggs in one basket so much so that the trade to that country is equivalent to us or even more than what we trade with five different partners. Uh, that's wrong. So if anything, the Chinese pride getting in the way, not wanting to have the fingers pointed at them, well, that should really be an impetus for us to really build something for us. It's yeah. an opportunity. Absolutely. And I think now the What's interesting... We, you reckon we follow through with it? Or yeah, well... Is it all just posturing? Obviously, we're just trying to get something. It will be. I think that it will be... Because there's going to be more of this crap coming up. And if they're doing it now at this point in time, what do you reckon they're going to be doing in 10 years when they weigh stronger? But the problem is this. If I've got exactly the same item, one made in China and the other one is in, made in Australia, and to buy the one in Australia, it's 25 cents extra. Okay, 25 cents, you probably can say, ah, yeah, no problem. What about 1,000 versus 1,250? What about 10,000 versus 12,500? Really, you're going to have to sit down and cut all those ribbons, mate. Just make sure that we can do this. And I keep on saying this, I repeat it. If we are ready in during COVID time as a country to spend hundreds of billions of dollars to keep everyone afloat, if you will, 
why not spend 10 billion into making sure that this manufacturing side of our country is cheaper? Mm. That's all. How much of that's labour costs though versus red tape? Part of the reason is you can get someone to work for five dollars an hour in China. You can't do that here. I think China has not seen the full repercussions because there's a lot of companies that aren't owned by repercussions. What was that word you tried repercussions. to say? Repercussions. <laughs> repercussions. <laughs> He's had his first stroke. A glass of wine, mate. <laughs> a sip. A repercussions. I don't think China's seen the full repercussions of what they're doing because a lot of these companies are getting the labour force from China. However, the companies are still owned externally, whether it's in the US, Australia, in France, or wherever it is. They're owned externally, and those companies are still going to want things made. They will still export those to all the other countries. And if China starts to kick back too much, they start pulling those out of China. Yeah, but it, this and this is where I think we need to have a look. It's very nice for other countries to say, "Oh, mate, well done, Australia." Very nice for Donald Trump to say it. Is he going to do something about uh, then our Bali? Is he going to say, "Do you know what? We'll get your Bali." We'll share the surplus. I think that that would be the Anzac spirit, right?、Mm. So it's very well and fine and say, "Come on, mate, I'll push you in the in the limelight. You go and say this shit, and then afterwards we copying all the、uh, consequences." Yeah, barley is a key ingredient in beer, so I think Australia should be right in the、uh, <laughs> spirit of the Anzacs. We should all up our intake. Well, no problem. And the、that. barley industry will be fine. <laughs> no barley in wine. What about the、uh, the reopening of all doors with school? Because this week was the first week where、yeah. a lot of schools gone back. Next week it's compulsory. Compulsory. We sent it as a week ago. And、We、already、know. Riverview had to close their doors. Yeah,、uh, Riverview Saint Ignatius in、uh, Lenco had to close their doors. A year seven boy got COVID yesterday. Everyone got sent home. Wow! But they don't know where he got it. It's because they didn't download the app. Oh, I was. If I had it downloaded the app, <laughs> I yeah, I thought you, mate. I don't think the app's working. It's not have working. Downlo- have you downloaded? No, it? fuck no. Why not? Have you not, mate? You can't. Don't you threaten me? I when the, bloke, either, mate. Just when the bloke comes out and says, "If you ever want to have a beer with your mate again, you'll download the app," I take that as a pretty serious threat. And what the fuck are we doing, letting that happen, regardless of whether the app? I'm not the tracing thing. And being tracked by the government and all that stuff—that's that's—I think that's a small part of what's actually going on. Yeah, because、right. everyone who wants to argue with you says, "Oh, well, Google can trace you and your phone can track you." Yeah, hundred percent. But they're optional. I choose to carry my phone and I choose to be on Google and I choose to let them track me if I want. But tell me that I can't leave my house unless I get that fucking app. That's. And、um, they said that. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it was actually. Oh, it was two or three weeks ago. Now I got in the car and they played it on the radio, and I had to drive the whole way from Barrow to Carrion without driving off the road because I was fuming. <laughs> Actually, said it's Friday. It was a Friday. Great day to have a beer when you're having a beer today. Have a think about how good it'd be to have it with your friends. And if you ever want to do that again, you'll get the app and you'll tell your mates to do the same. That word for word, not even paraphrasing. No,、oh, that bastard's just threatened us. Well,、wow. he's just extorted us. You obviously don't follow me on Facebook, mate, because I started World War Three over it. You know, Cam, you, you start so much shit on Facebook. Sometimes it's like you know, no, it's all a log in a fire. It's all, all about the fire, same stuff. Just a different space. It's all、know. been to do with this fucking virus. <laughs> and then I had a, a competition to judge. <laughs> I started a hashtag saying "Don't don't 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 load the app," and a, a nurse got on there and said, "Well, don't call me if you get the virus."、And、I, I said, saw that. Oh, we we spoke、yeah. about. We did speak about. That. I said I didn't realise that the app was a vaccine. <laughs> it's not going to stop. Yeah, the government's taken some liberties, mate. Yeah, fair enough. It's taken us down a very slippery slope.
That's a problem, isn't it? You know, as soon as Aussies have got a bit of liberty being taken away, oh yeah, they are cut. Such as uh, privacy, personal privacy, they just work against. It's that's the Anzac spirit too. Very fighters you are, base mate. New Zealand passed a law now that police can enter your house without a warrant just to check if you're social distancing or not at any time. <laughs> so now in New Zealand, the cops can enter your house at any time without cause. What are we doing? Where's your civil liberties? Yeah, absolutely. That's where we're heading, and that's what I've been banging on about this whole time. Like, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not crazy stuff. Everyone says, "I oh, just get the app." But you're doing exactly what they want you to do. Yeah. And then, how are you going to ever get rid of the app? Because the next thing will be, "Ah, oh, there was a terrorist attack. We need to keep the app now because we need to track you to make sure you're not hanging out with terrorists." And anyone who thinks they're going to give back all the power they've gotten over us is kidding, because they obviously don't understand human beings and power. Yeah. They're not special people politicians. They're humans that have won a popularity contest. We voted for, because oh, I like the way that guy smiles. Well, they're now running the country. You give a human that much power as if they're going to give it all back. No one. No one. Yeah, that's fair enough. The old power that used to run the world was religion. The Catholics were running the, the, the world for a long, long time, and that's taken how long to erode their power? I think they've lost some of their power, but still most of what we do in life these days was, has a base starting in... Yeah. Catholic. Maybe the selling wasn't done well enough. Yeah, don't threaten me. <laughs> That's right. Maybe it shouldn't have been a threat. It should have been a bit more of selling. I shouldn't uh, be doing it. But which, which really drives me to now the discussion, the topic of our podcast today, that is to talk about the art of selling the way we know it. Probably to do this in a nice way, we are going to review the Vazi book, Vazi the salesman book, and talk about it. You like the cheese? Oh, that is put a, put a bit, Put a bit of that butter on first. Mm. Put, oh. mate, do this. Put a bit of that butter on. Get the cheese on now. We obviously yeah, all you, haven't you, eaten you, enough you, today because yeah. since that plate's been there, we've been into it. Unbelievable. That butter's <laughs> amazing. And you'll tell me what you think of that cheese. Now, you won't get any cheese out of Cameron today, <laughs> but you, you, you will appreciate this cheese, okay? Oh, that is unreal. Your uh, salami goes all right too, mate. Just let everyone know, I only come up here for the food. I don't come in and just hang out with these two guys. Seriously. Lying bass. <laughs> the food and the wine, mate. Mm. Let's get into this Vazi book. What do you see? What do you know? What do you know I don't know? <laughs> do you I'd know? rather start with you guys because I wrote it. So I uh, All right. probably don't have to try I'll tell you a little story. Before prove we it to you. I'll tell you a little story. I was fortunate enough when you did the original manuscript, you gave me a, a copy to read prior to print, yeah? Right. I felt very privileged and I read through that. The book come out. I bought a few copies for customers and staff and so forth, and I hadn't reread it. The other day, Thomas says, <laughs> the next one of wisdom is going to be on Vassy. Cameron, Cameron asked, what's Vassy? <laughs> um, what's up, Vassy? So I reread it. I started rereading it. And I have to be honest, I haven't gotten to the end. I'm about 50 pages short of the end, but put about six or seven hours into getting there. But I've got more out of rereading it the second time than I did the first time I read it. It's actually been an absolute pleasure and I didn't realise how much I could get out of there are a number of books that I have read two or three times they've been mostly novels but I got a lot out of the book the second time I've been reading it well, nice, of, nice of you it's to see that we're not here to piss in his pocket for two hours mate, mate it's more of a lesson <laughs> more of a lesson that, that I, now I think to myself out of how many other books that I've read that I haven't reread mm. do I need to go and reread now yeah. I yeah. said to TL earlier because I'm, I'm reading it for the second time too and like you I haven't quite made it to the end but um, I've got all the pink stuff in here I highlighted the first time I read it and all the stuff I wanted to highlight this time wasn't it was just, wasn't the same thing. So What is it with pink, mate? It had taken on a 
so parts that's, of it have taken on a completely different meaning. But I think the timing is a is a critical factor in it because yeah. of what we've just been through and yeah. are going through in our businesses. The reminder to just get back to basics is huge. And the biggest focus for me at the moment is just getting a result a day and just going yeah. back to basics. And it's a little bit of that salesman mentality yeah. because we have to. We have to put runs on the board and we have to focus on finding something to eat every day and that's a listing of sale or whatever. And because it's the first book in the series and it is heavily based in the sales environment, I think the timing of rereading is just like... The timing, um, yeah, absolutely. Because that's what it talks about, obviously. It's, it's, it's um, very poignant. The it's, start of the journey and, yeah. and what's involved and why you get into real estate and the good parts and the bad parts and the results focus. So, no, it's I'll, been an interesting couple of days rereading it. The funny thing is also, it would have been six to 12 months ago, I can't remember, Thomas actually said to me, reread the book. Mm. I've got, but I've read it. He goes, reread the book. Oh, fuck off, you're full of shit, man. What else <laughs> am I going to get out of it, you know, seriously? And I didn't reread it. And maybe it's his subliminal messaging that he made me read it now that I did get so much more out of it the second time. So if anyone has read it, reread it. If they haven't read it, you can get a copy from <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> so yeah, it's a great book. Cam, did you want to start? Did you, you have a page or something that you wanted to highlight first out of it going through the beginning of the book? We don't want to go jump all over the place, but. Oh, look, I don't know if anyone's – you got anything earlier than page 47 because yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in the first 50 pages, but um, my first note's for page 47, so. You're make fun of me now. I've got to put my glasses on. Uh, I'll show you my glasses, mate. <laughs> i got pages – actually, page 29 and page you 31. Those, you should wear those when you're choosing your wine, mate. It might help. This is right at the beginning of the book. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Written and illustrated by – Right at the beginning, page 31. Unless you trust yourself first, putting your life in other people's hands will never bring independence of thought. Go out there, take risks, trust that you know enough to do the job. Study what you don't know yet know and give yourself permission to stumble and fall. The foundation you're about to build within will then be strong enough for this uh, any size building that they want to create after that. That's right at the beginning of the book, page one, sorry, page 29, last, uh, basically last paragraph. Absolute great start to the book. That just that phrase itself was. Uh, I think I don't think a lot of people see that they have to trust themselves first. They put that trust externally, not intrinsically. And then when sort of that person they've put their trust in can't lead them where they want to go, they blame that person rather than looking how they can improve themselves. Number one, number two. I think people also don't give them give themselves permission to make a mistake. And if they do, they'd probably learn enough lessons from it. Yeah, possibly education. I think you know, it's fear. It's, it's, it's when, when you were a child, a young child, it's mum and dad who says, don't do that. Don't do that. That's a mistake. And then when you f fall or when you do something wrong, see, I told you, should have listened. Next time I tell you not to do it, don't. So Preconditioning. So you got that education, that absolutely, that preconditioning that says, well, there's a little voice in me that's scared now, <laughs> which is your fear. Yep. And it's reminding me of what dad told me once. Yep. It's also fear of the unknown. We've used the acronym before, fantasized events appearing real. You, you're scared of something that hasn't happened yet. So I think we've covered that pretty substantially on, on here before, so we don't need to go back through it. But the initial start, the thing that will block a lot of people is is their risk it too adverse to risk. So no, it's a good start. I think just at the beginning of the book, very nice place, very nice position in the book and a very good sort of thought process. For anyone who picked that up to read the rest of the book and understand that the rest of the book is really explaining and pushing themselves into that uh, understanding of themselves and, uh, and their ability to be allowed to make mistakes. 
one thing also on the actually very next page 31, getting off track here for a second, and it's something that you've spoken to a lot of the business owners to begin with, you know, talking about when you're going for a job interview in the book. And it says, as I walked into the office, I was greeted by an inviting fragrance. It felt cl- like a classy hotel. I could see the pride in room. The energy seemed good. That was somewhere I wanted to work. And I wonder how many managers and owners walk into their office on a daily basis and the five seconds that it would take to sort of make that judgment of their office. That's good. I've lost over that, but I was thinking more from a sales point of view when reading it. But um, That's a very interesting point because a prospective vendor, prospective purchaser, a prospective landlord walking to your office and feeling that... A team member, bro. Before all that. Even a team member going for a job interview, absolutely. But all those points, that point there is the first 60 seconds that we call when mm. we walk into a home. That 20 seconds that we have to make an impression without opening our mouth, so Ooh, to speak. Absolutely. Wayne Bennett said to us, four seconds I got to talk to him. He, we said, how do you inspire people? And he said, I don't. I just create an environment they want to be at. And that's why I said team members first. If your office, we're not going to have vendors, sellers or anyone else unless we've got the team doing the work. So creating that environment, that first impression on your staff is more important than just better. And for yourself. I know for myself, if I walk into the office one day and it's messy, you don't start the day off on a good foot because you go, ah, oh, fuck, why is that there and why is that there? But when the office is presented in a way that you can be proud at all times, it, that energy rubs off. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the first 60 seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking to a leader a while ago because he had his uh, license on the wall of his building outside laminated and I said mate that doesn't send me a message of love of of you loving your business you know there were leaves plenty of leaves around the front door and I said that's wrong this is the difference between you walking into a Mercedes dealership versus one of those second-hand dealership on Parramatta Road you, you have to set a feeling of love into the business if you don't love the business when you walk in, chances are your clients won't. And that tells you whether you're going to really be a business that is worth your fee or not. There's also the theory that says how you do one thing is how you do everything. So if you're laminating stuff to the side of walls and leaving the front messy, where, what else are you, where else is that reflected in your business? And, and oh, well, it's in the so? computer. When it's off, no one can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that's so that's where I took those from the beginning of well, the book. Well, it, it's good that you have one. I like to have one. My, mine was on page two already. Oh, oh. Wow. Mine was on page two. That is to always be open to opportunities. They are all around us. They're there. It's up for us to really get that. I think I spoke to you a little while ago about you were down at some stage and you yes. said it last time in, in the last podcast. Yes, and we were chatting and having long chats because you were down, man. And I sort of said to you, listen, why don't you just focus on just very simple things? Two sales for the month. That's all that you do, mm-hmm. right? And as soon as we did that, you started to do more, way more than that. And I said to you constantly now, mate, we talked about two sales, remember? <laughs> right? So I think once you set your mindset to be open to opportunities, everything comes to you. Mm. Everything is around. It's a little bit like the guy that goes to a dealership and buys now a, a new Golf GTI. Suddenly, the next day, all he sees is Golf GTI, right, on the yep. road. They were there before but he's never noticed them. So it's the same thing. What's the likelihood that if we are positive in our mindset, that we are open to opportunities to see positive stuff that happens around us? And in these COVID times, that's what needs to be, uh, people need to be doing. And so the beginning of the book really was the, 
the beginning of two messages for me. I've got two messages, and we we'll see whether whether you get them all. But I'll give you the new, the first one. The first message of the book is: in life, you need to sell yourself first. If you can't sell yourself, if you don't have the techniques to even sell yourself, you're not. I don't think that you'd be destined for a great life. I think that great life is not about how much money you have. It's not about how many, how much success you achieve. It is how good your ability to sell yourself. I mean, if you guys watch and you know, I learned so much from movies. In the movie, it is reflecting usually a book that someone has put a lifetime to put the, their knowledge into it. But in Catch Me If You Can, when you look at Frank Abagnale's dad, who's going through the IRS, you know, chasing him and wanting him in jail. And how he constantly just has a twist to these things, you know? And he's constantly open for opportunities. He's constantly on the lookout for positive stuff in his life. And that's why I thought that page two for me was to say to people, start reading this book, but be open to opportunities now because something in, the, in this book may be for you. I'm going to pull out another one, Lionel. So where your focus goes, your energy flows. So I did a training session with the team yesterday because one of the things probably about to repeat myself but one of the things that's been vital for me in the last four weeks especially is just getting back to results focus and because I've been focused on results my mind is open to finding more results if I wasn't focusing on them to begin with and the way we put it to the team and I'm I'm partnering with a pretty experienced guy this month so the way he puts it is what are you going to eat today What's your meal? And the meal has to be something tangible. So in our world, it's a sale, it's a listing, it's something that's actually going to put food on your table. When I started going back to work thinking, what am I going to eat today? All of a sudden, I was smelling all the fumes from all the meals that were getting cooked all around the world and we could, we could go to them and we could find them. And that's being open to the opportunities. But unless your mind is in the mood to eat, or not even in the mood, unless your mind's looking for food, all those opportunities will pass you by. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. If you're not hungry, you're not going to be looking. Well, for if it. you're not, you might be hungry, but you might not. You know, might I, be I, hungry, but you might I, be scared. You might be scared. There's not not enough food. I haven't stopped being hungry. I've never stopped being hungry. But for a month, my focus was elsewhere. It wasn't on eating, and you could see it in the team. You could see it in the staff. They've been doing the work. They've been ticking this box and ticking this box, but their mind hasn't been looking for food in those boxes that they've been ticking. So they can go home at the end of the day and say, "Oh yeah, I spoke to fifty people today." box ticked but you can talk to 50 people you can talk to 50 people while you're trying to smell what they're cooking but still a quote from the rock and ever since i've gone to work or gone to bed the night before going what am i going to eat tomorrow what's what's for lunch things have happened and um you know it's a good way to it turns up without cheese and eat everybody else's cheese. <laughs> i eat everybody else's lunch so it's like the old what's the um the old motivational speaker saying i don't know who if it was brian tracy or zig ziglar the vibration you put out you get that vibration back so you're putting out the vibration of what you're focusing well, you're on you've got to be more open yeah okay. yeah so there is there's the energy out equals energy in yeah, yeah like i've got no doubt that the work that everyone's been doing for the last four months is the reason why 10 people have called us in the last three days to come out and hopefully list their house that's yeah that's that energy that you're talking about and the, the payback. But what I'm, if finding new business and, and doing new things or someone just starting out, I mean, the book's tailored to someone yeah. probably new in real estate or, or thinking about getting into real estate. If your ears aren't open to those opportunities, you'll miss them. Yeah. The key to prospecting and the reason I look back on my first 18 months in real estate, the reason I got as busy as I did as quickly as I did is every conversation I was just listening for that little in. Everyone go, oh, yeah, well, of course you've got to do that. Yeah, but are you? Are you? Because if you've spoken to 400 people this week, I 
guarantee you there's someone there that was cooking a meal for you that you haven't smelt. That's a good point. So, But if your mind's not going there, if your mind's going, okay, I'm just going to talk to 50 people today because that's what I've been told to do, that's not food on the table. And it was just uh, a... A realisation. Well, it was, yeah, it was just a snap back into... Yeah. It was just a snap back into, you fucking idiot, you know this, but I'm a visual person. So we used to say, I mean, Thomas's line was go and find a wallet. You've lost your wallet. Prospect like you've lost your wallet. The food thing for me worked perfectly. What am I eating today? Yep. What am I going to eat? Okay. And all of a sudden I'm smelling meals that have been cooked three streets away. So was that your page 41 or was that... No, my um, my first note comes in <laughs> the pains of real estate. <laughs> I think... Um, page 47. Page 47 is my first post-it note. I mean, again, we're not here to piss in anyone's pocket but there is bits of gold everywhere it just depends on where you're at in life at a certain point which bits stand out to you so i didn't have the pains of real estate marked from the first time i read the book but this time when i i put myself in the context of someone who's not been in the industry long or is just starting to get out into the industry they've just run into bushfires floods and COVID 19 yeah after probably getting into the industry thinking i'm going to have a flash car and and life is easy and we make a shitload of money so yeah the very first one i can relate to very well it will consume your life if you are not careful yep and it did it has done for me for a long long time only now am i starting to understand the uh ramifications of of, of letting that happen it is Real estate is a lifestyle. Your if growth you don't in, manage it. And your growth in that has been huge in the last 12 months too, Craig, though, Cam. Understanding they're not separate, they are the one. Mm. But it can take over your will. Absolutely. And you do have to set rules early. And it's okay saying, look, I'm, I'm broke, so I've got to go to work hard and I am going to miss family dinners and I am going to do this and I am going to do that. But that's not a sustainable for anyone. And, I mean, maybe if you're single... Maybe yeah, if that's you're, right. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're young and you're single and you don't have many other commitments, sure, you can go to work 16 hours a day and, and forget everything else. But, you know, obviously we're not in that position. We're, yeah. we're, we're family people Families and we've got so getting lost in activity rather than productivity. I mean, we're all fucking guilty of that. Yeah. Being busy for the sake of being busy. It's um, time management issues and, and sometimes you just don't feel like prospecting. So you'll do that spreadsheet or... or Think is of that marketing idea or what's the old saying? Oh, I've got to go and help that person with that thing instead of just doing the do. Unimportant things done well don't make them important. Yeah. Well they're not it's again back to what am I gonna eat today? Yep, perfect. Is that is what I'm doing right now helping put food on the table or not? Yeah. And you can say, Oh yeah, thinking of that really good DL idea is gonna bring more clients a no. couple of months down the track after I no. put it out there. So yes, it is putting food on the table, but is it That's are right. you going home That's and right. eating? Yeah, yeah, well, I just went into the next one. Time management kills more salespeople than anything else, and I've seen that. I saw at the first office I worked at that was was famous for people finding stuff to do rather than doing the do and not managing their time properly. Some really good agents, really highly skilled agents, just time management and preferring to be active rather than productive killed them. Yeah, absolutely killed them. No, I think we all get caught up that that to a certain degree and being aware of that is an important thing. Success can be dangerous. I know that firsthand. I didn't lose a listing for my first 16 months in real estate. I thought I was a fucking superstar. No one could touch me. Now, part of that confidence was good. If you've got that confidence and you walk into a listing, you'll get that listing. But when it becomes arrogant and it becomes ego and it becomes I can do it better than anybody else and it becomes why should I listen to anybody else, I know what I'm doing, then then you, you do have to be careful. You, you 
do have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. So mm. it will blind you with attraction to commission. Now, this isn't something, you know, it, it mentions a couple of things in here. It may push you to do the wrong thing. It may at times push you to abandon your values, things like that. I, I can hand on heart say that's never happened. While I have been very driven by the commission check at the end of the day in my in my salesperson period, never did the wrong thing by anyone and I can hand on heart say that and never would. But... For anyone else out there, it can do. The, the you get if your first check's twenty thousand dollars, it feels good, and it tastes good, and and the toys you buy with it feel good. So if the next quarter you're not doing as well, but there's an opportunity, maybe if I just bend this rule a little bit or just tell this little white lie, I can catch back up to get that feeling again. It it can. Money's a very powerful beast. Yep. And unfortunately, depending on your constitution, it can push you to do the wrong thing. There's, there's a reason we're only rated uh, just above used car salesmen as an industry, and that's because those commission checks do push people to do the wrong thing so often. So, yeah, yeah, the pursuit of targets may cause a great deal of stress, fear, and anxiety. And who hasn't been there? I've been there as a salesperson. I've been there as a business owner. Now those targets hanging over your head, and how you deal with that, and or how you the perception you put on that, or most of the pressure I think you put on yourself rather than again, it's those um, false anxieties that. Bring you to a struggle and then the la- you're only as good as your last quarter. It's one of my favourite ones because as a footy player and a sports person, you're only ever as good as your last game. So it doesn't matter what you did three quarters ago. It doesn't matter if you did $200,000 in a quarter in 19 or 2017. What are you doing in the second quarter of 2020? Because that's what you judged on and that's what's putting food on your table. Yep. Because we fight so hard early on, like uh, there's somewhere else I've marked in a book or maybe it's in the same thing oh yeah there is the first 18 months is a nightmare because the first 18 months is a nightmare as soon as you feel like you've made it very very easy to get complacent and take your foot off a pedal because you've pushed so hard like 18 months is not in the scheme of your life it's a very short period of time but when you're going through it and in the grind and when you're trying to talk to 150 people a day and doing all that stuff the minute you get the chance to be complacent and take your foot off you take it because it's you're only human but that can only be for a day or a minute or a fleeting moment. You can't go, oh, because I didn't miss a listing for my first 14 months in real estate, I don't never have to work hard again or, or do any of that shit. So the complacency and forgetting that you're only as good as the numbers that are on the board. I mean, it's it's a wonderful thing and it's a, a crazy thing at the same time where your current performance level is always on show. Numbers yep. don't lie. Yep. Like you can have all the theories in the world you want about real estate or about sales in general. Sales in general. Numbers don't lie. You're either making money or you're not. Yep. These things keep going on. Fear of loss will stop you enjoying each day. When you're off, you're not making money. If you can't take rejection, sales isn't for you. I mean, there's there's four pages there and all of it. I read every one and I went, it just took me back, not yep. so much to now, but it took me back to the first 18 months in my uh, career, which was only three years ago. So it's still pretty fresh in my mind. But yep. I think to have that knowledge going in, you may not fully believe it, but when it's happening to you, you'll click to it quicker. I look back and go, ah, oh, that's what was happening. Ah, oh, that's what was happening. If I had known that going in, as soon as you pick up on a bit of complacency or as soon as you pick up on being active and not proactive or as soon as it starts to happen, you'd probably be aware of it quicker. Some experience you have to be in blood. You still probably will. Like, I would have read that shit and go, I yeah. know better than that because that's, that's the type of... I'm way better than yeah, that, yeah. That's the type of ego I am. Like, that won't happen to me. But I still think... If I had read it, even though I still wouldn't have believed it, when it happened, I would have gone, oh, uh, fuck. Yeah. And then I probably wouldn't have done it another four times because I'm someone who's got to learn something over and over and over again before her. Um, yeah, but let, let me also tell you one thing. 
the pains, if people really understood it, is way beyond real estate. Yeah. Right? You yeah. take, you remove real estate. I mean, Vazi was in real estate. Sales is <coughs> life, so. But it's about sales. Mm. And then if you really read into it, it's about life. Well, okay, sales is in, life, in and life, you say that in the book. Yeah. In life, you don't go for commission. But how many times don't people go into a job in life and get stuck into it because now their girlfriend's pregnant or their boyfriend's lost his job and they are stuck in the groove of having to do things in order to survive? Isn't that the same attraction that a commission has done to a salesperson? So yeah. really when you go broadly, it is all about sales in life. You know. Well, I think I don't know what page it's on because I didn't circle it, but there is a conversation in there about... Anyone who thinks they're not in sales is not understanding That's what right. life is. Everything know. in life is sales. Everything in life is sales. And I've got to sell vegetables to my kids on a <laughs> nightly basis and I had, fuck, I had to sell myself well to Crystal. Done good there, salesperson. Here's year. an old Where's joke. that trophy, mate? You can, you can tell a good salesman by looking at his wife. <laughs> if he's an ugly salesman and he's got a hot wife, you know he's a good salesman. And, and, and if he's, he's ugly, it's, he's even better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so all three of us in this room know we're fucking good salespeople. Oh, yeah. so. I had some good props, mate. When, you, when you've already got a kid and they've got that motherly instinct, look at me, father of the year. Smile, you fucking... Smile, buddy. <laughs> You'll get 50 but no, every, everything, everything we do in life is... Absolutely, and it, it, 100%. We could take that as a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to be. It's just uh, got to be an awareness so. that everything you do is, is, a, is a sell job. You know, I've, I've spoken to, and it's funny, property managers, they're a, a unique breed. And I've spoken to property <laughs> managers before, and I say, listen, you know, come and train with us. We don't do sales. Guys, you're selling your services all the time. You're the, probably the ones that really need sales training the most because... It's the core value of a business at the end of the day. I mean, the rent roll is what the business is going to be valued on. Get in there and train with the sales team because it's so important for you guys to have sharp skills in sales as well. You're not selling homes. You're selling your service and your ability to pick great customers, uh, tenants. It's an absolute Absolutely. sales skill. Well, they're, sales. They're, identical, they're identical skill set to begin with because we're both going into listing appointments and we've both got to prove, we've got to sell the fact that we're the better property manager or the better salesperson. So... Yeah. The difference is our vendors probably a you know a vendor for maybe three maybe six months. Their vendors, their landlords are probably a landlord managed well for a lifetime, and that's a very important thing. I mean, anyway, all you property managers out there, Vasi, it's available on the website. Mm. <laughs> so you were talking about Vasi. You asked me what is it the other day. <laughs> I, I actually looked at the definition. There is a definition for it, and it's not a very good one. Oh shit! But the vazi one that I decided to use was a French word. Vazi means go for it. Go for it or go forward. Go for it. Okay, go You're for speaking it. Speaking English. Vazi. Shut the fuck up. So, and eat your cheese. Yeah, that's very close to that too. So, <laughs> go for it. You know, I, I think that that is what a salesman should have as a motto: is to go for everything. How what? do you know you lost? Just go for it. Have you both watched the Michael Jordan documentary? I just watched episode one it's last night. Just the night. first, first uh, part, well, yeah. So on the treadmill, watching Michael Jordan. When you watch it, the, my first tip is have a note, notepad and paper with you because the amount of gold in it is yeah. off the charts. But one of the things he said in one of the last episodes was, uh, one of his quotes was, why would I think about a shot that I haven't taken yet? Or why would I think about missing a shot I haven't taken yet? Because I'm talking about how many times... He sunk a basket in the last five seconds to win a game or the last buzzer beaters they call them in basketball and how many times he'd done it. And someone asked him, don't you ever worry about you're going to miss it. He said, why would I think about missing a shot I haven't even taken yet? 
Yep. And that's that's what we're talking about here. You yeah, he said that the only shot it. that you ever miss is the one mm. you didn't take. Yeah. Right? He had that line as well. And yeah, absolutely. That's Listen, that's why the guy's a billionaire f- sportsman, mm. okay? And then he, he's the first one to get into the gym, yeah. the last one to leave. There's He's the guy that walked into, a, as, as a fresh junior, he walked into a room where all the players were smoking grass and drinking, having women, and he turned around and he, he walked. He said, I never touched drugs in my life, never wanted to be. As soon as he said that, I put my turn the TV off. I went, Well, he's a better man than me. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I got out of that first episode was when he was a freshman in college, the best guy in the basketball team. They were about to walk off the, the court. Yeah. And Michael Jordan says to him, Where are you going? Let's yeah, let's do some one on one. He goes, here I am, drenched in sweat, red, about to walk off, and I'm buggered. He goes, Michael mm. Jordan wants to keep going for another half an yeah. hour. So we did. We went back on the court. He goes, it wasn't long before he was better than me. I was a better basketball player than him when he mm. started, but that didn't last long. Yeah. His mindset, though, his attitude and mindset, his first game for North Carolina, when they were be- getting beaten and the f- they're into the fourth quarter and they're down by 11 points, and his teammates are going, oh, well, you know, th- you know, they usually beat us and so forth and so forth. He's going, no, 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 no. This game's not finished. He goes, we've still got another quarter here. He goes, let's get into this. He lifted the team and they end up winning. First time they beat them. Yeah, that was his first game for the Bulls. I oh, was at the first yeah. game for the Bulls, mate. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they come back and then they, the coaches realise, just give him the ball. Mm-hmm. He'll get there to the basket. Yeah. And that mindset, and again, it's the mindset. But having that this book as your survival guide, I think it's a very important thing to put in with that mindset. To go forward, have that attitude of, yeah, we can win. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, what about your next one, Chris? I'd like to go back just a couple of pages from where Cam was, actually. <laughs> it's, yeah. it won't, it's not far, but it's... Um, supposed to be doing this in order. This is in the book after Tom has had an argument with a mate that's uh, done the wrong thing about getting a contract signed. Yeah. And he's, they're getting berated by the owner. Was it Mary, the owner? Yeah. Yeah. Mrs. Owner, yeah. Yep. To be a team doesn't mean that everyone is always doing the right thing. Sometimes people do the wrong thing. That's when you fix it as a team, not throw a tantrum. Team isn't a notion you use only when everything goes well. It's a value you uphold when you're being challenged as a unit. And today, you both failed in that respect. Now can you idiots get out of my office and start behaving like adults? I think that's probably something very poignant at the moment. You know, people going, having a hard time within themselves, maybe getting those results and maybe neglecting the team a little bit. Maybe it's the team that they need to lean on a little bit more to achieve that little bit extra for the office, to go that further, or even just to uphold each other. Yeah, that is page 44. Very good. Right. I got the uh, the gist of that page too, but the, the way that I looked at it is that quitting is when you admit defeat on your goals. That in life, you're going to go to work environments where there's going to be fights all the time, where other people are going to try and steal your dreams away from you. They're going to try and push you out, just like the cuckoo who gets onto a nest, a, another bird's nest, and gets rid of the other egg so that the little bird's now going to feed it. So there's a lot of things going to happen. What you have to do is to learn to control yourself and sell yourself in such a way that you don't quit because failure is not about not getting your goals. Failure is when you quit on your goals. Mm. And whether you quit the job or not, that's already one step towards quitting your goals. It also ties into how you react when things aren't quite going your way. So... One of the pains in real estate was commission might drive you to do the wrong thing. Well, that fight that was is exactly, exactly that. that. Yeah. Well, I've been fortunate I haven't seen it in my teams or, or the offices I've worked at, but I'm, I'm sure when times do get tough, that sort of stuff's common in, in a place with the wrong culture. And I know later on in the book it talks about the office culture, but that doesn't happen. Those fights don't happen if the culture's there necessarily. 
Right. My thing is on page 15 and 19, where I truly believe in page 15, that whatever job we do, we need to really focus on the big Reason, why. Yeah. We're going to have to go beyond survival, beyond struggles, because life is a struggle. And with COVID-19 for the moment, it is a struggle. The people who are still moving ahead are the people who are rejoicing about the end picture of their journey rather than what they're going through right now. On your way to the Sunshine Coast, you may drive through traffic jam, which drives me mad. You may drive through rainy patch. It's okay. You're going to have to still focus on the end result and go through this rather than just let your entire mindset go down because of the traffic jam or bad weather. But where the page 19 is that, you know, the big why can happen anywhere. A lot of people just quit a job because they don't find that excitement. What you have to understand is that every job we do, we can fall in love with. There's so many aspects in a job that can actually call upon or that would actually click with your own strength, that you can find a way to be the best at that aspect of the job. When I was rereading it, I thought that COVID-19 for the moment has given a lot of people the opportunity to change a career or maybe to find love in their working life because most of us have been driven onto, into that kind of track. Go to school, get your school certificate, get the high score as good as, as you can and study something and then move on. If you don't study something, then just get onto some kind of line of a job and then move on from there. Not many of us really have been brought up to say, all right, you have now done year 12. Why don't you just take one year and go and think about what you want to do for the rest of your life? Find love in whether it is in a person overseas or find love in what is it you really want to do for the rest of your life. Then come back and do this. I think that these are some of the things that really need to be done. I mean, I know that, for example, my son Alexander took a year of uh, uni, went to Europe for six months. Because I just wanted him to just think, what, what is it that you really want to do? I mean, he did that, mind you, after year one of law. And when he came back, he still wanted law. And now I look at him as a lawyer and I can see the kid is just in his element. And so we can always fall in love with that. I pity the guy who makes a lot of money working in a job he hates for the rest of his life. I would rather a guy that makes enough to go by, but loves his job every single day until his last breath. And that's page 19. It's nice. Well, <laughs> fuck, I never got that much out of the book. <laughs> well, yeah. There's only four words on that page. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your next one, man? Where's your next one? Uh, mine's, mine's not till a bit later on. So Okay, yeah, let's go. Let's go on to yours. Oh, this is one of our favourite topics. I can fight Danola on this because he's a 1% agent. I'm a 3% agent. Your, so. uh, okay, okay. Uh, so. Your favourite topic's you, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's the most interesting. <laughs> Again, as I said before, when you're reading a book, the bits that attach themselves to where you're at in life at the moment are the bits that are going to stand out for you. So as I was rereading... Which page are you at? I'm at 73. Okay. I'm at the wrong agent when we talk about commission why people choose the wrong agent and why they shouldn't. It comes into life too because there's always people looking for the cheap way. There's always people who will fly Tiger Air. But as I said to you in the car earlier, I'm working in an area where the other local agent's charging 1.2% less commission than me and someone asked me to put my uh, fees on paper for them rather than do a face-to-face -face LA and I'm like, I can't. <laughs> if I put my fees on paper, like a, so I begged and clawed and I'm going to see them this afternoon. But it's just poignant working in an area where I'm a 3% agent and other people are a, uh, you know, under 2%. 
as soon as I got back to the commission, a bit of just stirred something inside me because it's a fight I go through on a daily basis with against other agents if I'm against them. So, yeah. um, but it's not just yours, man. I, I think that every good agent goes like oh yeah, no, it's not every just me. mediocre just, agent's that way, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, look at what we do. The two biggest things people want to know are how much their house is worth and how much we're going to charge them to do it. And your ability to explain why your commission is higher than somebody else's is basically make or break for your career. Otherwise, if you can't do that, then you're going to have to join the race to the bottom that a lot of the others are on, the mediocre guys are on, and run around being a 1% agent. I could sell 300 houses a year if I was a 1% agent, but I'm not, and I refuse to lower myself to that level. So each each appointment I go into, I know there's a very good chance that I've got a higher commission than anybody else. So my skills and talking around that are, are, are pretty sharp because it's a conversation I'm having on a daily basis. But there's some great lines in there. I mean, Thomas has pretty much given... Any agent who's having trouble getting their fee, all the lines that you need to do it, it made me stop and fold the page because sometimes I forget a line too and I'll leave a house and go, fuck, why didn't I say that? But it's all there. Um, but it's a funny thing, isn't it, how sellers are so okay being conned. It's education. They mediocre agents. You said education before. It's just education. Oh, but this is, this is the thing. If their child were on their deathbed, mm. they wouldn't even discuss. The agent's fee. Right? The surgeon's fee. But... But the house, the property that's taken them five years to save for the deposit, who gives a crap if I pick mm. a wrong agent? Who gives a crap if I pick a guy who would just cut his fees? Mm. I mean, I, this, this is the amazing thing. That would be like taking on a guy to have a Formula One seat because he's coming to me with money, right? Do you know those, uh, those racing drivers who are paying for a seat? Pay right? to drive, yep. Yeah, they pay to drive. Do you really think you're going to win a race? As a racing team owner, do you really think so? I understand. If you're in survival mode, you do whatever it takes just to survive one more year, hoping that you're going to get that one point that's going to get the FIA to pay for all your expenses. But really? Come on. You have to bet on the guy that's going to win. Yeah, I think the doctor analogy is the best one. You do not, and I've had plenty of surgeries. I've never asked for their quotes. I've rung up and said, who's the best ankle surgeon in New South Wales? Or who's the best ankle surgeon in the country? Yeah. It's an education thing and it's a, I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I mean, us Aussies love a bargain, yeah? We don't ever like paying full price no. for anything. Yeah. Um, but it's a con. It's a con. I'm not saying it's right? not. It's, it's a con. Like how many of those guys So would, whose fault is would, it though? Is it the cheap agent's fault that he was able to con someone or is it the more expensive agent's fault that they weren't able to educate the vendor in a way no, that no, makes no. one plus one equal two? Because no, no, no. Whoever lose, that's their problem. <laughs> that's, mm. their, that's a mistake. But for sellers to even think that, you go, everything has got a price, mate. You go to Harvey Norman to just get a carpet. If it's going to be cheap, I can tell you right now, mm. the carpet doesn't have wool in it. It's probably the worst of acrylic. If you roll on that carpet, you're probably going to be scratching your back un- until your next shower. You know, it's, it's, it's a normal thing. Mm. You can't pay peanuts and then you think that you're going to get the best performance mm. out of anything. Mm. You, you pick anything in life. Mm. You, you can't. And yet they do this. And what is more amazing for me is these guys that are selling like a million dollar home, right? And they just discussing about $6,000 in skill. Mm. <laughs> 6000 in skill. And then they get their, their fee. And so they're happy with their skill because their skill managed to save them 6000 mm. Hold on. Who is handling your buyer, Mr. Seller? Mm. The guy that just lost against you will now be handling your buyer in oh, negotiation. That's another good one. Too. Are you Why serious? That one in the book? Are you serious? <laughs> Wasn't that in the book? Rock, that's all right, mate. If you listen to the podcast, you'll be able to get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's another beautiful one. 
you just beat them in a negotiation and you're going to hire them to sell your million-dollar house. Oh, write it down. I already know <laughs> you that. You might one. be able to get more than 1.2%, Danola. Thanks, that. mate. Yeah. How nice was that white wine? Yeah, yeah, that was good. I'm trying to show what you a photo. You no, I turned, I turned it on because just remembered a photo I took last night. So that is, I won't name names, but that was on Facebook last night. Oh, yeah. So you can read the text, don't Tim you? Tim Jarvis from Central Coast. <laughs> yeah, but he... Flat fee commission offer. Used to work somewhere. From the uh, 25th of May until the 30th of June, uh, we'll be offering all new listing a flat fee commission, including marketing of $5,000. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Good on you, Tim. Keep going. <laughs> including marketing. <laughs> so the last promo he did was free marketing, and obviously that didn't work. So now he's including his marketing in a $5,000 fee. I'm going to send him a packet of two-minute noodles because he's going to be hungry. <laughs> he's going to be hungry. But send him some car wash vouchers. Maybe you can throw those in And as actually, well. now that I think about it, that's a sponsored ad on Facebook, so it's costing money to put that out there. Yeah. This five grand's getting smaller by the... We were talking before about how much realestate.com charge you to put a house on the market. So obviously it'd be the shitter stage out but there. But you know what? I'm pretty sure there was a comment under there saying, please send me more information. People that just – there was a, the second comment was, well, that just fills me with so much confidence. But, um, mate, people – I think it's a – is it a panel? I think it's a panel sign. People will always fly Tiger for whatever reason. You could fly Qantas or you could fly Tiger under the illusion that you're going to get to the same place at the same time with the same – Comfort. Comfort. Service. Service and – That's uh, amazing. You put your life and your family's life – Yeah, on a $50 right? plane ticket. Wow. I get it. I oh, flew I Tiger it. once. The day after we landed, they got shut down for safety reasons. <laughs> Not long before that, we come back from Port Douglas on mm -hmm. one of our conferences. It's the only time I flew Tiger because mm -hmm. it's the only time that it would fly out of there. Shit, that's flight, unbelievable. So can we um, can we get to the next bottle? Anyway, we yeah, we'll get to the next bottle. But can we also flip this argument on its head? Because at the moment we're talking about sellers getting conned by agents who are lowering their fees. Let's talk to the agents who are lowering their fees. Why do they do it? Why doesn't someone who's been trained and you know, knows all the same lines that all of us here in this room know, yeah. why can't they walk into a house and say, I'm 3% plus GST? Or three, I won't say 3% plus GST because I'm 3%. I'm well, there's plenty of reasons <laughs> we can talk about all this, but... This one I'm opening for you guys is called 42 Degrees South. Tasmanian wine, a Pinot Noir from 2018. All right. First time I tasted it was on my last trip to uh, Tasmania, and I thought it was magic. Tasmanian wines are really well known for two styles of wines, okay? You, you'll have the Pinot Noir, you will have the, the bubbly because of the water. They have one of the best water. But then you, you probably will have very good Chardonnay from them. So let's try this. Let's give it a go. They make great squashes too. Mm. I always love Pinot Noir. Probably my favourite are always going to be the New Zealand ones. But I have to say this Tasmanian company is doing good. I don't know. Give me a couple of glasses and I'll let you know. Third oh, well, sip, mate. I think Third, fourth sip maybe. If I'm going to drink a red, generally I'll go for a Pinot first or, or a blend. I like it. The big heavy ones aren't my fave. Something it's got good aftertaste, you know. That's okay, so what about you, big man? Right. So, sorry, yeah, the sorry. question you had. Yeah, the yeah, question yeah. You had. So we've just talked I about think, sellers getting conned. Yeah. I think, number one, it tells you about their culture. That means that the real estate agent is, he knows that he can con the sellers with this. So why would a seller employ someone who knows already? He is going to, he knows that what he's going to come out with, okay? Even though it's negative to him, 
it's going to con you. Why would you want to trust the dude? That's you, one. If you've got two options, right? You yep. can walk into a house and you can ask for 1.8%, which yep. on a million-dollar sale will get you how much? $18,000. Or you can walk into the same door and ask for 3%, which on a million-dollar sale will get you... $30,000. Why are they going in asking for $18,000 instead of thirty? dollars that, That's what I said to you. Because I, be, I, believe it's a, I believe they know it works. They know that it's the easiest con. So they're it, just going for ease. It's the easiest con. I also believe that, number two, the salesperson is lazy. Okay, and in real estate, you could actually go now to Woolies, put two dollars into that machine, spin the wheel, and you probably get your license. So a lot of people know we we can do this, and they think that they just get in if they can sweet talk people. There's no emphasis on a skilled agent, like there's a skilled surgeon. Well, the silly thing about them being lazy is you've got to do the same amount of work as the three percent agent to get the property sold. Is me and you selling a house, I go to work, you go to work, we run up exactly the same hill. We're both doing the same 100 metre sprint. We've both got to run 100 metres, we've both got to do it as fast as we can, except at the end of the 100 metres, I'm going to get 30 grand and you're going to get 18. No, but by lazy, this is what I mean. They don't spend the time you spend on finding out a new way of helping a seller. Mm. They're not finding out that some of the new techniques that you and I, we just spoke about earlier, mm. right? They, they're not... Uh, taking the time to sit down and find out the new technology that their team can use mm. to better the life of their own clients. Yeah. They don't sit down and do training. They, they don't do this stuff, mate. They, that's what I meant, lazy. Mm. So when you don't do all of that stuff and you don't upskill yourself, absolutely, you have no other recourse but just go back down to the lazy road. Mm. Well, you shouldn't be asking for the same food as someone who, who does all that stuff. But no, because you wouldn't get it. I just shudder to think, you know... I, both the areas I work in, I'm, the other officers in the area, have been dominant for a long, long time. And rather than uh, they could so easily uh, ask for the same fee and maybe get it, they don't even bother. I just don't understand the mentality of it. Yeah. What about you, Chris? What were you thinking, mate? Because I can see you're thinking. Please, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, look, we don't charge 3.3. We don't know that's the honest truth. And I believe sometimes we have to negotiate our fees. But I do believe at the end of the day that you earn the fee that you charge. Why do you have to negotiate and your fee? So... Maybe Chris is a better person to ask, isn't he? Yeah, I'll just... So why, why, why do you negotiate your fees? To win the business. <sighs> and some t- majority of the time, that fee then is more than my competition. So I'm still charging more than my com- competition. Yeah. And I'm showing the value in that I'm going to bring to the owner. So you're showing the value of how much? Of basically negotiation skills and... Uh, yeah, but you know, ha- what's the percentage you, you go for then? What, what do I go for? 2.2. 2.2%. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We should have asked that question. <laughs> That's a great thing you can edit it out. <laughs> no, we're not going to edit it out. That's going to stay. So 2.2%. I understand. All right. So what would it take for you to now ask for 25 I'm just asking for it. There's nothing that's going to take. So what would it be? What would it take for you to ask 3%? Just asking for it. So they can say two things. Yes, it's, it's no. Gonna, obviously, it's going to come down to a belief. Of our, so if they say yes belief. or no, what's what's the goal? What's the difference between they say yes or no at 2.2 to what they, to they, them saying no at 3%? Yeah. Now, you may say to me, no, oh, I understand yeah, well, if my opposition is going at 1.2 or at 2.2, I'm 1% higher. So at 3%, I'll be 1.8% higher. I get that. I get that. So there is a difference of a few thousand between the 2.2 and 3 but if you're going to fight for 2.2, wouldn't that make sense to fight for just a little bit more at three? Yeah. So why don't you do it? Because I don't. 
Yeah, but why? That's what I, I, I don't. Why? I don't know why. I can't give you an answer why. Because you've had the same training. We've all had the same training yeah. in this room. I, right? I don't know why. I, I can't answer the question why I don't do it. And then you said so and, two, you know, two maybe things. On the, maybe on the, the point that you know we, the, the fear factor of losing the listing in general. I, I don't know. Well, there's two things. Yeah, there's two things. I know we're not supposed to focus on words, but you said two things. One, I believe we should negotiate our fee. My fucking brain just exploded. But two, just to get the business at 2% or 3%. Just say you and I were selling properties for exactly the same amount. How many more properties than me do you have to sell to make the same money? Half. Who? How many? 33%. Okay. You're at 2% and I'm at 3%. So you could do 100 sales and I could do 67 and we'd make the same amount of commission if we were selling the houses for the same amount of money. Yeah. But would we be selling the houses at the same amount of money? Because if you can't ask for 3%, how can you ask a buyer to empty their wallet for you? If I'm against you, if you can't get yourself top dollar, how the fuck are you going to get them top dollar? But if I'm the highest in the area, would that not then... Just why aren't you charging 4.4 then or 5.5? Yeah, I get that. I get that. So, so, so on that, there, on that mindset, you can look at it on the other point. That, okay, you've come to 3% and stopped at 3%. Why aren't you charging 4 or 5%? 3% is comfortable? 2%, 2.2% comfortable. No, 5% maybe theft. Industry's 3%. Mate, I'm 1.2% higher than in one of my areas. I'm 1.2% higher than anybody. Full 1.2. In the other area, I'm half a percent. So but why the other half area aren't we increasing it to 1.2% more? Why aren't it's they? The same, it's the same. No, because they, they're lazy. They're in a race to the bottom and they're scared of losing the business. But you know what? I don't want to have to sell 100 houses if I don't have to. I'd rather sell 67. That's what I'm saying, though. That's what I'm you saying, I mean? though. You want another line? Yeah. I'll give you another line. Well, if, if you spend time with me, you get so many lines, guys. If a guy negotiates his fees against you, mm. that's mainly because he's scared of losing the deal, correct? Yes. So now he's negotiating with your buyer. Mm. You don't think he's going to be scared, scared of, of losing, losing the, deal. the deal? I just don't get – the bit I don't get, Chris O, is we don't even ask for it. When I, I'm going to say you now because I'm talking to you, but when I say you, people who lower their fee don't even try the amount of times I've got my fee without the fee even being asked and the agency agreement signed and commission never came up, so I just can't – and sure, you could ask for it and they could say no and you might, to get the business, end up still doing 2.2, but if you've never asked, if you don't even ask the question. Now, I guarantee if you do what we were trained to do, guarantee it. I just said before I was a personal trainer. I was paying people to teach them how to do push-ups. Did not miss a listing in the first 18 months of my career because all I did was the presentation that we'd been taught, word for word, bit for bit. I didn't miss a listing. So to me it says I'm not bothering doing a proper presentation because I know the presentation we do blows other agents out of the water. I know it does. Yeah. So you're not doing the presentation. So then are you in your head going, well, I'm not really worth 3% then? And then, But then to not even ask. That's, that's the psycho- psychological bit I don't understand. I say the same thing. Look, I say the same thing to my sellers. I say, look, I've got to be able to sleep at night. I've got three kids. They've got to look up to what I do. So the last thing I'll ever do is bullshit to you. I think your house is worth $650,000. But you know what? Fuck it. Let's ask for seven hundred, Because if we don't ask, we're no chance of getting it. And how many times have you put a house on that you think's a little bit over and got the money? So if you can say that to your vendor, how many have you ever put a house on for more than what you thought it was worth? Of course. You ask the question, did you ever get it? Of course, yeah. 
don't understand why we're not asking the question. And I, well, I think I do. I think it's because we're not doing the training, we're not doing the presentation properly. We don't think the value is there. We don't think we're, we don't believe we're a three percent agent. Like if I sit down across from someone, they're left in no doubt that at least I believe I'm a three percent agent. Now, if you believe that you're a three percent agent, they won't more times than not question you. The only time I run into trouble, which is what we were talking about earlier, is if someone says, I just want all your things on paper, don't want to meet you, don't want to sit down with you, don't want to see the process, I will never stack up on paper. Because if you write three agents down on paper, I'm never, ever going to stack up. So then there's more skill and more training in having a conversation with someone and saying, can I please come and sit with you? More often than not, I say, they say, why? Why can't you just give me the fees? Because I'm higher than everyone else, and you're not going to give me a fair go unless I come and sit with you and I'm able to explain to you why my commission's higher than everyone else. So and I think that you look at real life, and here I'm taking to the other extreme, right? We only have to lose a bit of business, but the other extreme is to lose one's life. You watch the movie, uh, and, and, and which is a reflection of a, based on true stories on Kokoda, for example, or Danger Close. Yeah, Long yeah. Tan. Long Tan, yeah. These guys here were mainly either brain newies, or actually chocolates, as they call people who f- who are not really soldiers. They It's their hobby. Why would those guys go over there and achieve crazy stuff if it wasn't for beliefs, you know? And I think that it is the belief that you have to go in. I always laugh if I was to walk into a place and have to accept that low fee. Because already it means that a guy who's not professional across the table from me has managed to put a price on me. You imagine the doctor who delivered the twins sat down with me and I negotiated with him. He might, he probably would have said to me, mate, which needle do you want me to remove? Right? It will be like stupid of me to negotiate with a builder on the price of building my house. Because which beam do you want me to remove is going to be in his head. Right? Instead of having maybe a foot or and a half between beams, He's probably going to use twice the amount. And then what? We have to remove the fear. We are in sales. they not. Most of us. Listen, if those sellers of ours were sitting across the table from us and they were in real estate, number one, if they were really trusting their own skill, they do it themselves. Mm. If they're asking us to do, why would we allow them to tell us what we would charge? Mm. Did you go when you went and got all of these beautiful salamis and meat? Did you negotiate? Didn't you tell them, hey, listen, I could do it cheaper. I mean, this, this is crazy. You know, pork is only about, what is it now? I don't know, $17 a kilo. And you now put them into this kind of salami, mind you, it's night salami, and you're asking for three times the price? Are you serious? Mm. It's really a question of belief. So these guys that are doing it, to answer your first question again, it's mainly because they don't believe it. Mm. And belief goes hand in hand with skill. If you don't upskill, there's no foundation for a better belief. Because until you upskill, you can't go out and win. And a win gives you a foundation for your belief. Yeah. A defeat removes your belief. And so it, those things go hand in hand. Sorry, Chris. What about Chris? Next one, man. <laughs> what, what, what's what's uh, a lesson you got? Study. Nah, it's overrated. Study, study, study. You don't want to study, mate. You might get 3%. I had saving money marked here and then I glossed over it. <laughs> because who wants to save money? So it's a... It's, uh the paragraph is taught, it's um, page 70, it's uh, your own rules. We had a similar conversation many, many months ago. Remember, if you follow the rules of the masses, you can only accomplish the same thing as the masses. If you want to achieve what you're capable of, then you must tune inward and create your own set of rules. 
Nice. Well, it's because he proofread it. Did you give him that line, mate? <laughs> so what did you get out of that line? Oh, I think a lot of us, um, there's a lot there. I mean, it goes very deep. I think one of the things we, with that sort of thing, we put our, our own aspirations in line with what community says, what the public says. You know, we want a fast car. We want a, you know, a holiday every year. We want this, we want that. But is that what's truly going to make you happy? Are they the rules you're going to set for yourself? You're going to set your own rules. Yeah, social conditioning. Yeah. So, social conditioning. Yeah. Um, you know, should I be home by 6 or 6.30 or should, you know... I'll be home earlier so the kids can do that. I can do the homework with the kids. Or should I be home later? Set your own set of rules. One thing that's in the book that I've never done, and, and I've read it and I've gone, oh, I don't know why I've never done that, is it talks about when Tom actually goes home, has dinner with his family, and then goes out to a listing appointment later at night. I've never done that. I've gone, why haven't I done that? I've just waited at work until my listing appointments arose and then gone out to the listing appointment. I've gone, well, I'm not creating my own set of rules. I'm creating a, a preconceived set of rules that I have in my head. Why don't we live into that? And I think in this situation we've gone through just recently, that actually is a very interesting point that we're starting to create our own rules within our work structure, our life structure, a lot of different areas in life. But in the opposite way, we're having a lot of rules forced upon us, which we were speaking about earlier. There's lack of critical thinking plays into what we were talking about before with the app and the, everyone just jumping when the government says jump. It's the same thing. And again, that's, that brings back to sales is life. I mean, we're not... We are too social conditioned in general, forget work, in life. We need to have a set of rules that we can, as long as you're not doing the wrong thing by anybody, there's nothing wrong with having your own set of rules. I'm not talking about doing anything wrong with anyone. I'm talking about having a set of rules that instead of being a nine to five, why can't it be 11 to seven? Why can't it be nine to 12 and then go home for three hours and then work the rest of the afternoon? Absolutely, 100%. Why why can't it be, I'm going to come in at work after I drop the kids at school and have breakfast with the missus, but why why are we letting society set our rules or our boss set our rules? Why can't we sit down? Our boss can set our rules. I mean, he's the boss. He's the boss. But what I'm trying to say is that what about the boss having only one rule? Do whatever you like, get the result. Yeah, well, isn't it? Targets are on the board. If you want, if you know that you can get your eight listings and eight sales this month, really do I care if you want Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off? Right. Isn't it? And I'm trying to do this. Do you know, it's been, what is it now, four, five, six years ago, I spoke about the rise of part timers in real estate. Probably now, seven, eight years ago, I spoke about people being able to run businesses from home, doing things not from an office, but from home and running their own little show. Mm. Mate, I have been a very bad salesman. COVID-19 has done a much better job (laughs) because COVID-19 turned up overnight. Everyone's doing it from home. Now, freaking Thomas is looking like not a very good salesman, even though his theory was right. He wrote a book. (laughs) <laughs> but then what I'm trying to say is the rules are only as good as what Cameron said earlier about the government. It's just people who won a popularity contest. So the rules are written by leaders who happen to own a business. But that does not make the rules right. Right. And that's what I'm trying to get at is we need to say and go to those people. That if we want to change the rules, voice that with the people that you're working for. Voice that. Say, I'm happy to work four days a week and I want Sunday, Sunday, Monday off. If I'm getting the results, why are you going to question me? They shouldn't. They shouldn't question you. They shouldn't, but if they do, that's their right because it's their business. Okay, I'll go elsewhere. Okay, that's your choice. That's that's the rules. That's the rules you're you're writing for yourself. If someone can't see that, I'll go elsewhere and I will write my own set of rules. There's nothing worse than hearing someone bang on about the same thing year in, year out without making any changes themselves. So set your own rules. Do that. And we all are entitled to do that. 
I mean, and that goes into every aspect of life. Tio, you and I have disagreed before because you've got a set of rules about who gets you know, your circle of people, and I've got a set of rules about my circle of people, and our rules don't always yeah. align. But that's yeah. we're human beings. We're allowed to do that. We're allowed to have our own rules. Now, yeah. where I was going before, we're doing the wrong thing. We've got to be careful because we go out telling everyone just make your own rules. It's as long as you're not going to do anything wrong by anybody or your no, rules course, don't involve hurting anybody. You've, 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 of course. And I that's, mean, yeah, that's what uh, – well, mate, you say of course, but common sense isn't very fucking common. common yeah. Right? Your ru- the rules are for your life, not for every- – they're going to affect everyone else. Yeah. You still have to play the game, right? You yeah. still have to play the right game. But the, the rules for your life, and I'm talking about whether it's your goals, whether it's whatever time you wake up, whatever time you want to go to bed and spend the time with your children, whatever those rules may be, but you obviously still got to play within the constraints of the community and obviously – Yeah, you know, and it's being okay. Like there's initial – I'd say probably, if I'm honest, I'm 50-50 as far as I like to think I set my own rules, but there's still, even coming down here to do this still, there's still a bit of guilt attached to me driving down to do a podcast instead of being at work because of the social conditioning and because of the expectation. and, and On your day off? Well, I don't... I Is don't today your have, day off? No, I don't really have a day off. Okay. But no, you told me it was your day off. I booked a day yeah. off, yeah. But so it was your day off? Yeah, I book a day off because... You can have a day but there's still guilt attached. There, there is, and that's part of breaking out of the social mold because then I've also got to look and go, well, I'm leaving straight from here to go and get another listing. But is that guilt that you've put on board. yourself or is that guilt that's been... Yeah, yeah. that's a generation... Uh, yeah, it's a generational <laughs> thing, mate. It's not... Yeah, it, I could mate, sit there and that go... That never happen with Generation Y or the millennials, no. mate. There's no freaking guilt. They have erased guilt. No, because the point, like, for me, I'm, I'm one who if I ride up on the board or sit down with someone at the start of the month and they tell me or we work out that this month you're going to get me five listings and you're going to sell three things, I don't actually care how they do it. Yep. I really don't. Yep. If they come to me at the end of the month and they've got five listings and three sales or more than that, then happy days. Don't come to me at the end of the month with one sale and one listing, having run your own rules. Yep. And that's the thing. Like We as leaders and as – I don't even want to use the boss word, but as a business owner, I get to set the targets. We have our expectations and we get to write those rules. I'm one who's heavily in the basket of don't care how you get there, just get there. And if that's working three days a week and you can do that, then absolute happy days, mm-hmm. you know, because – don't want people – see, I made the mistake early on. I didn't take a day off for 18 months, apart from a Sunday here and there. I worked there every single day and I ended up in bed for six weeks with a – Man, you, you, you're jumping all over the place, big man. Is this about the book or is this about you? Because right now you've gone over page 76, which was talking about targeting results, <laughs> and then suddenly you have gone through – Where did we uh, start? No, setting your rules. 212 to 225, which is about balance. We're setting your rules. <laughs> Talking about your rules and being okay with your rules. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think targeted result, really, we shouldn't care about it as long as they met. People can do whatever they want. Really, I think this is where we're heading, big man. I'm telling you, real estate is heading towards a place where you have to leave the champions, leave them to their own, and then just see them when it happens at the end of the month. The problem with a lot of people is that they use people who are not champions. Mm. You know, the people who have got a sicky because they've got a runny nose. Those kind of guys are not the guys that you can really hold accountable because they are not going to hold themselves accountable. You want the guys that actually feel the way that you said earlier. When you said you feel guilty being here doing this because right now you feel like you need to lead the team from front. That's the kind of guy I want. Because it's not really guilt. I'm going to rephrase it so you feel it differently. It's called accountability. 
you feel accountable or the business welfare. That has nothing wrong. Mm. And sometimes we mix the notion of guilt and accountability, and we shouldn't. Mm. Yeah, okay. Guilt is if someone has said to you, if you're not there today, you're bad. Yeah. Right? Self-accountability comes from the source of, I don't know whether I should be here or do something about results. It's a very different point of view. It's, it's a little bit like last time we spoke about gratitude, remember? A lot of people think that gratitude is about being indebted to someone. Yeah, no. And gratitude, in the essence of the word, it's, it's about feeling the need not even the need, the desire to thank someone, not out of feeling indebted, mm. but because you just had that feel. And it's a very different thing, you know. One is about guilt, mm. that second one, or the other one is real gratitude. So, Chris, let me ask you this. If you got your way and you could work whatever hours you want to work and do whatever you think, is it then okay that if you don't do what you said you were going to do and hit your target at the end of the month, or if we sack you? Yeah, that's your rules, absolutely. If my rules don't work, absolutely. We've got to, I mean, we avoid transactional at all times, but can't have it both ways. You but, can't have. But I'm not talking about my rules bludging. I'm talking about my rules with my hours. Yeah. And no, my hours so. getting the same, the results I need to get. But if, so if someone writes a set of rules, you don't agree with them necessarily. You think you should be able to be more flexible or, or do whatever. Is it okay that if you, I say, okay, work you three days a week and do whatever, as long as you come to me at the end of the month with those figures on the board? I think we're overthinking this. All I'm saying no, is, I don't think we are. No, I think we are. Within this, the idea of this, the phrase, I think we are confining ourselves to other people's rules. And that may be the hours that you work, that may be the time you spend with your children, that may be the goals that you set for yourself. There's a, a, a all encompassing sort of thought. It ties into it. targets too, because as Tom okay. said, it, we're, in a target, we're in a target industry. So it obviously, it always ties back to targets. But what I'm getting at is you wouldn't have a job whether you work nine to five if you meet, aren't meeting your targets. So if you're working by your rules, have you got the right to sack me if I don't make a target? Yeah. Or you do, but I'm working by your rules. And I haven't met target, now you're going to sack me, but I worked by your rules. Yeah. That's so right. now it's okay for you to sack me because I worked to your rules. I own the business, so I write the rules. Okay. So I work to my rules, I don't make targets. It makes you feel better about sacking me then. No, we're in a target industry, like you said. If you're in sales and you're not making target, then... Okay. Your question was, if I'm doing my rules, is it okay for you to sack me? Of course it is. Yeah. But if I'm playing to your rules, is it okay for you to sack me then? Yes. But it's your rules. You write the rule book. <laughs> I'm so, so I'm playing your game. No, no, no. No, but his rules, he's his last point, like 10.9 <laughs> is if you don't reach target, I'll sack you. That's what his rules are. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is your rules, I'll follow your rules to the letter and I don't make target. Yes. It's okay for you to sack me. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but do you see where I'm going with that? No. Okay. <laughs> because the rules are the rules. Just but they're your rules. As I said, I'm happy. I'm in the camp of I will give you whatever flexibility you want. As long as you understand, don't hit target at the end of the month or the end of the quarter. We're having a conversation. I've done everything you've asked me to do. Hit target then. Because I guarantee you if you've done everything I've I asked you to do. Well, and I haven't. Not possible. No, that's not necessarily true, Cam. You know that there are leaders out there who have no knowledge of leadership or management. You can follow all their rules and never reach a thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was putting, yeah. Yeah, I understand that. But so, let's imagine this. Sometimes people are going to follow your rules and they don't want, they won't get it. Let, and let's imagine whether you're a good or bad manager now. Mm. What's really... Well, it depends on what the rules are, yeah. yeah what, no, no, what is the, the issue, really? He follows all your rules, he doesn't get it. You're going to fire him? Not straight away. Okay, that's, that's where we're going now. 
Okay, you're gonna diagnose and find out. Yes, is it your rules issue, your your lack of support the issue, the yeah. lack of training? Hundred percent. Yeah, we go or through all it, that process. Or is it them? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. At I, the end of the day, if it's them, yeah. Sorry, buddy. That's a different issue. If it's if it's the person, <laughs> but if it's the person, they wouldn't have done what you've asked them to do, the or if they've done it without a bad attitude. But if I set my rules, and I'm not talking just about hours, if I come to you and said, Cam, I want to call it my way, and I'm going to bring you your sixty grand for the quarter. Let's say I'm happy with sixty grand. Yeah, done. Go do it. And I bring you 60 grand, you're going to be happy, right? I'll be in the office less, you're less overheads for you. I'll still bring you the, the com, right? Yeah, I already said I'm in that camp. We're going around in so many different places at the moment, but I'm also the firm belief that because, and I'm going to be very specific to real estate, but I'm guessing it's the same in all sales-related job, find people to talk to, talk to the people you find, and then provide the service for them, you can do that regardless of what rules are written or regardless of who's telling you what to do. So I'm of a firm belief that if you, even if you, the management isn't on point or the leadership on point, in real estate you can still pick up the phone, you can still talk to people, you can still ask them if they're selling, you can still go to their house and you can still sell their house for them. Yes, but from some people will follow your rules, others will follow the target. What do you expect? A person who works for you to follow your rules or your targets? Well, me personally, I want them to follow my rules because I think the rules that I'm setting are the system and will help them achieve their target. That's me personally. But I also know that you can overcome, to a certain extent, you can overcome poor management and poor leadership by just going to work. You can't so, expect so both. You can't expect to be able to go home whenever you want, go to the gym whenever you want, walk your dog whenever you want, and do all that stuff and well, not I, hit target. I probably will say to you, mate, the new way of real estate is going to be against you because the new way of real estate, I reckon, is going to be tell me what you want and let me deliver it. That's fine. And I will say not a problem in the world as long as you come to me at the end of the month with those figures that you told me you're yeah. going to get. We've got no issue. No, but I, I probably will say you still have meetings. You still have certain meeting points. You'll, you'll yeah. still have a system that's You're taking that's me going very literally, yeah, but yeah, in a general yeah, sense. Yeah. Go and do your thing. Okay. And that's... What's the uh, what's your next point, boys? Was it my turn? Your turn, Ken? I think your turn. Oh, it's I my think turn, it's your turn, it? Thomas, because I just covered the whole book. Then let, let me tell you a point that I wanted to... It's a sentimental point now for me. It's page 56. It was talking about at one stage... And that's a true story that really happened to me. It was talking about at one point, was he walking down the street, George Street, and he suddenly felt the urge of walking into Dimmick's bookstore. And that really happened to me. So I walked into this store. I've been searching for a book for a week. And I, I totally forgot its name. And I knew exactly what it looked like, but I couldn't tell you the name. And there was no author, meaning I couldn't even ask the bookstore Where's that author? So I'm walking down the aisle and, and I'm going almost like, you know, gone with the wind kind of thing. I'm now in front of a bookshelf and I'm looking, I'm looking, waiting for that book. Suddenly there's a lady right next to me and she had a scarf. Like people who have cancer have got a scarf on them. She said to me, you should read that book. And suddenly I've been standing in front of these shelves for maybe five minutes. And suddenly she showed me the book I was looking for, exactly that same color, exactly the same size and all that. And it was called A Course in Miracles. No authors. She said, you'll enjoy this book. So I, I grabbed the book and I said, thank you so much. I grabbed the books. I opened it. I had a look at a few pages. And then I just wanted to thank her. I turned around. No one. So I immediately ran out to the uh, aisle. No one. I ran to the street, couldn't find a woman. 
man, that really gave me the chills because at that point in time, I really realized that sometimes things happen. You get called in, certain things happen. And it brought me back to page two of the book, which is you have to be open to opportunities. That things sometimes happen maybe outside your logic. You just have to learn to go with the flow. And that's one of the things that I liked about. And I linked it to a page at uh, 61 where sometimes I believe that books, they do pick you. You don't pick the books. Yeah, right. That day I sat in front of that bookshelf and I was going through all the titles and I allowed the book to pick me. What I'm trying to say is this. We need to be highly flexible and know that a lot of things in life is a two-way street. That it's not just about us making things happen, that sometimes maybe things are waiting for us to make happen. Yeah. I think trying to work out whether it's the same thing as everything happens for a reason, but it's, it is and it isn't. I, personally, I, I feel like the universe has a plan. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen and you can't attach too much emotion to the good, the bad or the otherwise because it's just the way it was meant to be. And if you're open to that, then you'll be amazed at what things come into your life without necessarily realising it or asking for it. I mean, it's what I said about reading the book, depending on where you're at and that day or in that stage of life, certain pages are going to jump out to you at certain times because it's, it's telling you you need to hear this right now. I don't think it's coincidence that we're talking about this book this week because I think we're in a time where people have got to get back to basics in a lot of sense and understand the foundations that they build or reconnect with the foundations that they build if they're people that have been around a bit longer than others and it's not the first time they've heard all this stuff but to reconnect with it in this time right now I don't think it's a coincidence that we're here doing that and that's what you've got to be open to. When you asked us to, to talk about this book, Thomas, was it an intention for that? Did you feel that maybe it's the right time for Vassy to sort of help a lot of people? Or is it like Cam saying that, you know, it's the book happens is happening for a lot of people at the right time? I have been meaning actually over the last few weeks with what's happening in COVID to share this book. Yeah. Because I thought, hold on, you know, there's so many things that happen for the moment that if people really understood a little bit better about selling, they wouldn't happen. And so I think last week, Cam and I, we were chatting about when was the next one. And I, right at the time when he asked me when's the next podcast, Vazi sprang to mind. I sort of like said to him, it was going to be about the book. And so I could feel a little bit of panic because he had forgotten about the book. <laughs> so he said to me, when are you going to tell me? I said, oh, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you maybe next week or maybe in a little while. I'll give you a bit of time, but maybe it could be next week. Mm. And as a matter of fact, I decided because a lot of things happen to me. Or I do a lot of things out of a whim. And I decided on Monday that on Thursday we were going to talk about Vazi. Yeah. <laughs> and on Monday afternoon I went to my bookshelf because I knew I had a copy of my bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. And then I've realised I actually had given that copy to a friend. So I went to reread it and I've gone, oh, fuck, I have to wait till I go to work because I've got Tuesdays and Thursdays off. So I had to wait till I go into work Wednesday to grab one of the copies that I had mm-hmm. at work to start rereading it. But still, all that... As we said before, it's thrown up a lot of good points. All that, that happened for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. As I said, it's not Absolutely. a coincidence that you thought about it, that, that the times we're going through called for it. It's not a coincidence. It's, I don't think there are coincidences, and, and I guess it's back to page two again. As long as your mind's open, yeah. whether you believe or you don't believe things happen for a reason, the religious will say it's God, and I just call it the universe because we all believe in something, but yeah. that's why the book came up again. 
And that's why the, the biggest things I've marked this time through are the things relating to starting out in your career and just getting back to basics and building a foundation because that's where we're at now. We're in a new – We're in, essentially we are, we are in a new world. We have been since this thing began. We aren't going back to the old world. I know we've argued about that on this before you and I, Crusoe. We aren't going back to the old world. We are where we are now and tomorrow it's going to be a new world again. No one's starting from scratch but revisiting the basics and, and remembering why you're doing this and – what's required and why we have target, all that stuff that we're talking about now. It's a, it's the perfect timing for it. Maybe it was the perfect timing two weeks ago, maybe it was a week ago, maybe it was a month ago, but in general sense. I think it's very, yeah, it's perfect. Anyone, any of the sales guys that are new that may listen, pick it up, read it. Grab it. If you've already read it, reread I, it. I actually think if any leader doesn't have it in their bookshelf for this team, they, they're not actually doing a favour to their team. I think they... Every leader should have a bookshelf. We bought, ready. I bought 20 of them and we gave it to all our new, oh, any new recruits. They got the book straight away. Yeah, I don't know if any of them read it. but um, It's good that you say this thing because I shared that quote with you as one of my lessons in my journal this week. Is that There's a lot of people who are knowledge consumer and we're going to have to be very careful. There's a difference between being a knowledge consumer, reading, 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 reading for the sake of reading, yeah. to a knowledge user. Yeah. And I think that we need to really become knowledge user that it doesn't matter how much we read or how many books we read in golf every single month. Use that bit. Do you know I still get so much out of the Stoics? Mm. I go through Stoics and I sometimes catch myself, I said, and telling myself, I promised myself I was going to live by it. And a lot of these things, it was easy for me to live by because that's how half of me is a Stoic. The other half of me is an Epicurist. And so... I do both Epicurism and Stoicism in one. And so when I first read that book on the Stoics, the daily Stoics quotes, I thought, gee, it's me. But then somewhere in the book, it lost me. I thought, no, that's not just me. There's a bit of me in it. It's really when I really understood more about Epicurism that I, I really realized. I like a disciplined life. But I also want to make sure I don't live my life just to be disciplined, that I believe that one of these days I'm going to die, that I also enjoy every single moment of it. But how do you enjoy every single moment of it if you don't have the discipline to read the best you can in order to enjoy the best you can? Mm. Because even in enjoyment, there is a need for discipline. Yep. Good. Next. Yeah, what's your next one? <laughs> How's that wine, boys? Did you, you're right. Yeah, it's not bad. I don't know, but... <laughs> I am still loving Pinot Noir. If I could have more Pinot Noir, I would love that. Seriously, one of these days, boys, we're going to have to go to some of these wineries in, in Tasmania and do a podcast there. We're waiting for the helicopter. <laughs> this is something that I actually um, highlighted this morning when I was trying to punch through the book, and it's still on page 77, and it's back to targets and results, but... I think given the new world we're going into and the talk that we just had about people working more flexible hours and you know wanting to live their rules and all that sort of thing, I think all of that is sweet as long as there's a key or basic understanding between leader and staff or between everyone about the foundation and what's expected. As I said, you know, I don't care how you get there. If we set a target for the month, you get your target, we're happy. I don't care how you do it, but we know that you talk to enough people, you're going to get enough appointments and blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that stood out for me, which is poignant to the uh, time that we've just come through in the last two months is, is this. We work in a highly competitive environment and performance is paramount. If our company doesn't do well, we'll have to let someone go. And if the company goes out of business, everyone loses their job and our families will suffer. 
those are the rules of our game and we must act as a team and do everything we can so that we never have to let a team member go. People think that we make a lot of money, but they often forget that we have very high overheads and there's a lot to do to get our clients the best price. Secondly, we have a lot of freedom and sometimes that's our downfall. We waste it and only with approaching deadlines do we go to work. For those two simple reasons, and I'm sure there are more, we must have targets. I think if we can all come together on that basic understanding, there won't ever be an issue with people working the hours they want to work or going to the gym or walking the dog. It's, it's where, and that's why I said to you, is it okay if you don't hit your targets that I get rid of? Because that's got to be the understanding. That paragraph there is the whole basis for business and the whole basis for the team and the whole reason we get the shits when people have too many days off and the whole reason we get the shits when people don't hit target and the whole reason I'm kicking your ass to talk to so many people, those reasons... Because you broke that rule. Because you, you broke, broke the rule you, first. You broke the rule. Yeah. And if the company goes out of business, everyone loses their job and our families will suffer. I think that line there is too easily forgotten. Especially with the millennials, they think that the wage comes from this imaginary place where it's just going to keep coming. There's no understanding that if I don't do my job that I was employed to do, that stuff can't continue. And that's why I said to you, is it okay if you don't hit your targets, I'll get rid of you, Chris? Because that is the understanding we all Complain have to work on. Complain to my rules, absolutely. We all have to work on. But these are the rules. Performance is what we're there for. If the company doesn't do well, okay. people have to go. And but if the company goes out of business, no one has a job. As long as we all understand that and I can set you a target that stops that from happening, we are free to go, bro. Yeah. We can. But that, that comes back to the point I was saying, setting the rules though. If I set my rules to that target and reach that target, all good. If I set my rules and don't reach that target, yeah. my fault. If you set the rules and set the target and I don't reach it and I've worked to your rules, your, your fault. fault. Yeah. Oh, that has to be the basis that we all start off on. Firmly believe it, and that's why it was poignant today because we are heading into new structures and we are heading into new environments. And I think you can, I agree, you can talk you, to your blue in the face, mate. And people come on and they work with us, and uh, yeah, they, they get upset or they get stressed because we're having a go at them for not hitting their targets or not doing what they're told. There's a reason we're telling you to do it. Understand the reason, understand why, and then we can all move forward in coexistence. In saying that, I'm going to ask a stupid question, right? I'm going to ask a stupid question. I'm not question. surprised. There's no and stupid questions. <laughs> do you think salespeople do not realise that? Yes. Okay. You honestly think that there's some people out there, some salespeople, that re think if I don't reach my target and the next person doesn't reach the target, the business won't be profitable and we won't have a job? I think some people don't have an understanding of it. Yes. Okay. Some. Okay. Some. I, I, you know, that's I will what say some. Uh, that's good. It may not and have been I, a stupid question. You can question only yet, so. judge that by people's actions because if you understand that, your actions are telling me that you understand that. You couldn't really entertain that. Maybe they couldn't give a shit. Well, it's one of the okay. It's one of the two. You either don't understand it or you don't give a shit. Well, we're employed wrong, man. No, well, to us it might mean common sense, but we're talking about generations here too. But given not giving a shit, I think we've employed wrong. Or we haven't got them sense of buy-in then. If you can't understand why you can't have three weeks off at the end of a quarter when you haven't produced at the end of the quarter, if you can't understand that... You need to be shot. You either don't give a shit or you're working on a basis where you think the money's just printed on it's, trees. Yeah, it's just... And that's where I think a lot of the angst between leader... Ma well, I guess it comes with having the right people to begin with. But you can't expect... Okay, I don't think you can expect a 19-year-old to fully understand that aspect of business to fully compute that if we don't do this, then 
How was the wine? Did you, did you yeah. like the wine? <laughs> so, so would you suggest then? Which I, like, like, come on, we need well, to drive. No, but you almost. I think you get a new team together. You read out that paragraph, oh, that so we can all be clear. Let's get into this wine here, the and Hemira. Chris, you're gonna have to talk about it, which is, which is our Hemira wine. This is, uh, this which, is which, by the way, you're gonna have to tell people again from last they, pod, from the last one, from last podcast. This is from the Barossa Valley. Hemira sent us uh, a very nice selection of all their yeah. uh, wines that they create. I have the single vineyard. That's the old vineyard. Grenache. Is that how I pronounce that? Vine Grenache. Is that right? Grenache, yes. Um, is that the type of grape, Thomas? Yep. Okay. Very uh, raspy uh, on, on your... Ooh, it's tough. That's a tough, okay, tough good. grape normally. That's all right. We're tough. We can put up with it. They are actually <laughs> sent us a beautiful selection of wines. Those who missed the last time we tried it, Himera is the goddess of daylight, and they've named. And why is daylight very important to them? Because it's the part of the vineyard gets the first sun of the day every yes, day. So yes, the yes, yes. They the winery um, that gets the first daylight. Yes. So I think you could play on the words a little bit if you wanted to, and enjoy yeah. the the vineyard one day if you're ever in Barossa Valley. Borders, borders, is, actually borders no. are still closed. Right? Actually, no. If you call and you mention Wise Twenty W I S E Twenty. You will get a further discount on the way. Wonderful. Very nice company, beautiful people, and very generous for sending us a nice selection of their wines. Last podcast, if you miss it, tune into that one. But this time, of this is our last bottle, guys. So, Cam. Thank God it's our last one. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we get out. <laughs> Seriously, mate. Cheers. It's a nice wine, isn't it? Oh, it's got some different. Just cleanse my palate. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I like it. That is nice. Yeah. Guys. It's the single vineyard from Hemiras Estate. It's called Old Vine Grenache. 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 For those good. who may be missed out also, this, this vineyard actually has over 100-year-old grapevines in their vineyard, so uh, you can't go wrong. You need to read the bit on being a new manager, Chris. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Which page was that? Page 108. <laughs> as a manager, I'm responsible for the team results, not necessarily individually, but as a team. So it doesn't matter what an individual achieves, it's the overall figures that matter, right? There'll be three groups, one that wants to see you succeed, one that sits on the fence, and one that wants you to fail, and the worst group to deal with is the second Second one. one. Why? Well, you know what to expect with people who don't want you to succeed. You know to be wary of their advice and careful of their agenda, whereas with the second group, it's harder. They'll swing back and forth for a while. Chris is famous for it. <laughs> Expecting favours from you to win their votes and then go against you if you play against their agenda. Whoa, if you play against their agenda. Let me introduce you to some of the things between page 79 and <laughs> a lot of other pages afterwards. I didn't it's, go into it, the money It's the stuff. notion of keeping a journal. People didn't realise it. I was making points about a lot of things, you know. But what I hope is that the reader was getting the message about the importance of keeping a journal. Because I think that one of the uh, Chinese proverbs that I read a long time ago was that even the faintest ink is stronger than the strongest of memory. If you write something down, it doesn't matter how many years afterwards. You, you, you can read it. And probably some of the things that you read again, you be saying to yourself, man, how good is that? And, and that's hence I'm saying he's read this chapter that I haven't read for a little while now. And for me, it sounds good because it sounds new. You know, Our mind is not able to remember everything we do or read or get every single day. 
So by repeating it over and over again, sometimes it's good to be sitting there. You know, you know. What, Were you what, able to do it straight away? I I struggle. I think I said this to you the other week. I've yep. got about six journals, and they all end on the thirty first of January and pick back up about the first of December. <laughs> There's a big gap in the middle where. And, you know, I've got the day one app and I've got written journals and I've got, I just, I, for whatever reason, I struggle with it. Yeah, no, I give myself a bigger why, which is uh, what I spoke about at the beginning of the book on page 15. I gave myself a why. So when I first started writing a journal that was right after my brother had leukemia, mm-hmm. so I came back to Australia and, and I realised, you know, life is short. We all have a song. We rather sing that song rather than go to our grave with that song. And then I also realized that life's short and precious. So why don't we just make a note of it? Yeah. One of the why I gave myself about making a note of it is how great would that be for my children mm. when they 30 to read myself at 30 and say, no, I'm ahead of dad. I'm doing good. Mm. So when they 30, they read the stuff that I wrote when I was 40 and tell themselves, oh, these are the things he went through. So you're writing a and lesson every day, or are you? Because that's one of the day. that's one of the reasons that I stop sometimes. I go, I just couldn't be asked sitting there trying to find the lesson in the day. I just want to drink twelve beers and forget about it. But so it's never just today. I got out of bed no, and, and for, ate cornflakes for breakfast. for the sake of my children getting that lesson. I I make sure I sit lesson. down. I do that one lesson a day. Well, it's and a great sometimes habit. It's have fifteen is minutes. Sometimes it's like. But it's a great thing. How many of us really live day to day and never remember the day? Mm. I would love to be able to read my dad's journals. Dad's now 88. And yeah. He's got dementia and, you know, saw him for the first time the other day in about eight or nine weeks because yeah. they've, they've been locked down. And I would love to be able to sit down now and read my dad's journals from, say, maybe when he was in their 20s to his, you know, 40s, 50s. I've got it right here. And every page starts with fucking Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a legend no, but it, w- which reminds me you know I, I was writing a, a chapter on something today and and i was reminded of a, a french song i think um, i think it was daniel guichard who uh, actually wrote that song about more view it's called my old man and in the middle of that song in the, in the lyrics he says you know uh, when we are when we 16 i think it's 16 when we 16 i guess we don't have a heart big enough to hold some of this memory of our old people uh, dear to ourselves. I'm paraphrasing him. The lines was, you know, I guess when we're 16, we don't have a heart big enough. And I think that, yes, today at your age, re- you would want to read what your dad's gone through, oh, read the lesson and li- read where you're ahead or behind and or what he's going to go through because... Half of your genes are your dad's genes, yeah. <laughs> correct? Yeah, of course. So chances are some of the things he's conquered, some of the things that he has feared and overcome is going to be part of your journey. Absolutely. Yeah. So wouldn't you want to know be beforehand and, and be warned about these upcoming things and, and so that you can save time to learn better lessons? Yeah. If you got that at 18, you probably wouldn't want to read no, it. No, absolutely not. You wouldn't value that no. at that time, 100%. No. Yeah, 100% correct. Yeah. But at, at this, you know, whether it was 40, you know, 48 or 38 or whenever I would have picked it up, to be able to sit there and see, okay, did we have the same struggles? Are we uh, after the same goals? Are we, you know, the, our aspirations the same? Were we, were we both trying to please our dad? That would, that, another thing, right? How when I've had that, that conversation with yeah. him previously about that, which you forced me to have, and it's my dad's aspiration was only to have a successful family that was tight. And the time that he needs us now, we've never been more tighter. It's, it's absolutely fantastic that my father's achieved what is 
ultimate life's goal was. But to have his journals leaving his homeland at the age of 19, jumping on yeah. a ship, coming to a strange country, laying railway tracks in the middle of the desert in Western Australia, not being able to speak a word of English, man, I'd love to be able to read those journals daily, day in, day out. That'd be mm. absolutely amazing. No, absolutely I, have, amazing. I have them. Fucking <laughs> Chris, uh, would you like to buy them? <laughs> the price starts at uh, <laughs> fucking salespeople. <laughs> no, but just just to tell you, up until not so long ago, I I actually wrote them down, but now I've got them on. on you know, like I just got one of my journals here, yeah? 1998. So back in those days, I had them. I had one stage even got them onto our, our company diaries. Yeah. Hey. 2007. So you've got your all your all your journals there, and all of my my journals <laughs> had to be the same thing. So it's leather bound, and it had to have gold pages. So the gold leaf with the level bound. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just pick one here. Uh, 15 July. What is it? 1998. I can't read your writing, man. A salesperson can die if they fall trapped. Happened by their ego. If they feel trapped, by trapped their by e their ego. Yeah, ego is often the paralysis, paralyzing factor. Of an achievement. It only allows us to take action when we are 100% certain of, the, of outcome. the outcome. So it stops us from taking risks. What we forget, though, is that only risk, risk. handling has made... <laughs> Fucking <laughs> hell, man. You try and read it, man. Sounds like indie trying to read a novel. Yeah. You try and read it then. Where are we up to? It starts from, in, ah, it starts yeah. from taking risks... What we forget, though, is that only risks handling has made with while things... It sounds like indie reading. Pandemic. <laughs> Pencil. Get the app. <laughs> In uh, May 2007, which is Friday the 11th, I wrote this. French are rare. Uh, friends are rare. I can't read his own writing. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote, friends are rare. They will also disappoint you when you least expect. Uh, it's okay. Us, it's okay. Others will be your friends as long as they can extract some benefits from the relationship. And the day that they have exhausted it, they will forget you like a bag of dirt. It's also in the book, Transactional. People will not necessarily treat you as their friend because you do. Friendship is not a two-way in intensity or directly. As to Ron, so I hope Ron's still alive, Ron Wilkinson I'm talking about, why would he betray me behind my back and have no decency of calling me? Should he feel wronged by the fact that his office will be rebadged as a Wiseberry. That was when Stephen Thompson went Wiseberry before his son's office. So you see all those lessons there, and we have to have that courage to just, and maybe the discipline's more than, than courage, the and discipline that, think, sit yeah. down. But I have made sure that my discipline is solidified by just what many podcasts ago I was talking about, Viktor Frankl, looking for that meaning for future generations. Mate, I can't wait for my children, even if I passed on, or my grandchild, to read stuff and say, Pop was way behind me when I was 27. I'm way ahead of him. And so the lessons that he's doing here now, I'm actually gelling with the lessons I'm doing right now. I'm gelling with his lessons when he was 40, meaning I'm actually 13 years ahead of him. How mm. can I just go forward? 
You know, and how beautiful is this? My but kids are going to be able to read from the 24th of September 2019 until the 19th of October 2019. <laughs> <laughs> Just look through my journal. Yet another crack at keeping a journal. I really want to form a couple of sustainable habits and journaling is one of them. We'll see. Well, that lasted a month. But the quote of the day, it was, and I, I, I don't know if you'll be able to guess no, who told I, me this, it's one thing having the engine of an F1 car, but if you don't have the right steering wheel, dot, dot, dot. So that was that quote from that day. We must have spoken, young fellow. We, when we were in MDC, the one of the things you asked us to do every day Jones. was share a lesson yeah. to the group. Yes. Lesson and, and gratitude. One of the bloody hardest things that I had to do. Some great pearl has come out of it, but... So mine were all starting with gratitudes, then a thought for the day, but it ran out pretty quick. All right, so let's try and finish with maybe one last lesson we got out of the book. What, what is that one thing that you guys got out of this book? I think the biggest thing was what I shared in it, for the whole book was what I shared earlier. is about just because you've read something or you've watched something or if you listen to something doesn't mean you've really chewed the meat off the bones and sucked that marrow out. You really need to get in. I know I've got a lot more out of the book the second time um, and I actually can't wait to get home to read the rest of it. I've got so much more about it this time that I can actually implement with the team which I've probably forgotten about, which I should have been implementing with the team anyway. Also in knowing that the copies that I've shared with certain people, that I can give them a call and say, listen, did you read the book? How did you find it? What were your parts that you made that's you like? nice. And I think that's for me. Um, I mean, there's beautiful one-liners in here, some really good one-liners. There's one one one-liner in here that I think was absolutely fantastic, if I can find it. Empathy is the sugar you put on hurt but it doesn't do anything to help the illness or something along those lines. Wow, that's nice. And I thought that was that was a very good line. There, here we go. Sympathy is the sugar you put on a wound to make people fall in love with their pain. I thought that was good. I thought, yeah, you've got to stop doing that. You've got to stop showing sympathy to people just so they don't start looping in that shit that they want to wallow in. So question to you, Thomas, where's book two coming out? I'm going to talk to you about it soon. So let's have a look at our last <laughs> lesson first. I don't think, because we've missed half the book, I don't think I can pull one more lesson out of the rest of it. I've highlighted heaps of stuff. I could read heaps of it. You guys but are I useless. I ask you to read the damn book and you read no, half the book. No, I've got all my, all my highlighted bit, but you're after one last lesson, all the pink That's in there. A, yeah, okay, just give pink. me a last one, a good last one. All right. <clears throat> Shit, you had to pick mine. I can see it. It just went to the last page. No, 207. Treat your team like family. Actually, treat them like your children. Sometimes we treat family like we do strangers. It's great to share the good moments, but when it comes to the tough times, you're on your own. If your brother wrongs you, you may show love in return. With some people, there's a limit. But when your children wrong you, you'll always find a way to forgive them and move on. Now, there may be a limit as well, but it, but it's set much further away. You need to give them more than they could ever give you back in return. That's nice. What does it mean? Uh, I don't know. Go to work. <laughs> so we're moving away from sales and more into leadership and teamwork. But for the leaders, it's remembering that your team are your family. You've employed them for a reason. And once you've employed them, you have to treat them like they're one of your own. If you're not going to, why are you employing them? And They, they are going to be with you through good times and bad. Yeah, you know, it can be a difficult balance because, well, actually, I probably yell at my kids more than I yell at my staff. So... That's um. Your staff won't let you yell. At them, <laughs> hey, your staff won't let you yell at them. 
<laughs> yeah, nice going, don't land the drone now. <laughs> Stop it. I think the overall thing for the book and the reason it's poignant now is because it covers the basics of everything. It covers the introduction into everything. It covers the introduction into your sales career. It covers the introduction into your management career. It covers the introduction into your leadership career. And I think at this time when a lot of people are resetting or wondering, you know, where it all went and where do I go from here and the basics are the key. Um, and if we can take anything from the book, it's that. Chris has spent the whole time pissing in TL's pocket. I think you did well, mate. It's a good book. But um, I think if we can use it as a tool that it's there for, sometimes we've got the stuff sitting under our nose. And I think the same thing sometimes about all the manuals we've got. I mean, I've got 10 manuals sitting in my office that are gathering dust and I'm too busy looking for the next book to read. We don't need to. It's, it's right there in front of us. And if you're smart... As a leader, you'll use it to your advantage because it's a third-party story. You know, we talk about in our listing appointments using third-party stories. I can talk till I'm blue in the face. That that green paragraph we read before is everything I've been trying to say for the last three months. And if I just could have gone here, if I had to realise that he read this for a second, you'll get what I mean. Yeah, job done. You know? One of the things that I probably would say is that I love learning and I love sharing my ideas, but I I don't like the limelight. And I think that one of the bad job that I've been doing is not to understand why most people on the surface love limelight because limelight gives them a reason to like information a bit more than if it came from someone who was unknown. And I think that the end of the book, especially when it starts from 212 right to the end, it was all about balance. That... I have seen my parents live a life without balance, where mom had to work Obama from 1975 because she had five children and she wanted to give them everything she could. And so killing herself and working with three bakeries and one restaurant, meaning that she was up at five and going to bed at two, was not a major issue seven days a week. And, you know, you and I, we have done a podcast on, yeah. on my life, so I spoke about it. And so for me, relationship selling, which is really the topic of this book, is not about being a friend or getting close to someone until you get the sale. It is about developing an entire way of life that is about relationship. Relationship with your partner. Relationship with your children. That I... I love to know I, I love it to see that when my children who are 26 are still wanting to be home around me on a Sunday because if I'm doing something they want to be around I love to see that you know when the day that I'm retired that my children would want to be around me because that's really probably the most important things in my life not the success the the biggest success and success I mean how many breakfasts can I have and so relationship selling is not about faking to be someone's friend until you got the sales done. Relationship selling is about how do I grow as a person and understand relationship so that selling becomes natural, right? Uh, if I was an, to be an agent in an area, really, would my children list with me without even asking once themselves one single question about my ability? That's relationship selling. Relationship selling is, on the other hand, am I treating everyone in that area as if they were my children? 
That's relationship selling. And I think that that's the key for me about relationship selling. You have to have a balance. You have to know when enough is enough. Do you know when you got a few millions or you, you just get a bit more? That's, that doesn't really matter. Now it's time for you to make somebody else successful. Make them millions. Because people are not stupid. At some stage, they're going to, they're going to realize that it's all about you. And when it's all about you, it's no longer relationship selling. It's about me selling. <laughs> it's not the same. And I think that in, in that respect, maybe the book ought to be uh, more understood, not just as a selling tool, but really as a life philosophy. I'm not asking for people to behave like communists, which is whether we work hard or not, we all make $100, and then that's it, because $100 is just enough for us to survive. So in some respects, half of me is a capitalist. We need to earn what we deserve. But then at one stage, what we deserve, we need to sell ourselves the concept that what we deserve is really a good life. And if we have enough now to, do, to lead a good life, it's okay to help others to have a good life. And so when I see leaders of small businesses trying to have more and then more and then more and then more at the expense of their people and taking advantage of their people and, and then trying to rape their people in order to have more because they just lost a little bit later on, lately. I think that's not relationship selling. That's not what you do to your children. I understand some people would do that to their children. I talk about the norm here. The norm of the parents is that the heart of the parents is always bigger than the one of their children. Mom always told me this. Water never goes uphill. So I asked her, what do you mean, mom? And she said, tears always flow down the wall, never upwards. Parents always cry for their children, not the other way around. And so if you do a leadership where tears are always going down the wall, I think that in COVID times, just like what you experienced with your dad, is the tears that you probably would have for your father are translated in the love that you have and you show him right now in his living days, not in his afterlife. I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I know that it's been uh, six or seven years you and I, we spoke about this, but really from that first moment, I, I have realized that your dad may be right or wrong. Sometime we need to not translate actions as intentions. Intentions very different. But your dad has only one love for you. He just wants to see you succeed. Yep. And sometimes in the deep desire of wanting to see a loved one succeed, we pass on our fees to them, you know? And so Vazi the salesman is way, way more than a sales book. I don't think I've been a very good salesman in this book because I don't know whether I have passed on to people the psychology or the philosophy that I have that are two things. Number one, sales is everywhere. And sales that begins with yourself. That was the first one I gave you. Now, to answer your question about where we're going from here, uh, in the next book, Vazi is now obviously the owner of a show, which is what happened at the end, around the end of the book. And he is going through the struggle of leadership. But as he realized throughout the struggle of leadership, he's going to grow as a person. That in life, you don't grow by having everything easy. In life, you grow by giving meaning to what happens to you. So that is my next book. Wonderful. Good. When's that going to be released? Is it far off, Thomas? Uh, is it being proofread? Have you finished it, writing it? No, or? I think it will be after COVID-19. 
Wow. <laughs> that soon. It was meant to be released before, but um, I wasn't happy with this. In the Vazi the Salesman, I wanted to keep things very simple. Vocabulary, the way the things were, and in the next one, I just wanted a little bit me, a little bit more elaborate, a little bit more philosophy into it, you know, in terms of so that it prepares the the third one. But definitely, the um, I'm I'm loving this second one way way more. I'm really going through this because in the end, none of the these things that I've put in the book, and and I just wanna. Disappoint maybe uh, some of you guys. None of these things are mine. You know, ideas transcend generations. All that we do is we just grasp some of those ideas and we put them in. Anyone who says that was my line, that was my idea, right? they're just full of shit. <laughs> right? they, they're just rehashing ideas yeah. that they have come generation, generations ago. Yeah. Who says there's someone who says there's no new ideas, there's only new. There's only repetition yeah. of yeah. the Bible, isn't it? <laughs> Not sure. No, very good. But boys, I really thank you for uh, taking the time to read the book, taking the time to share this information with uh, everyone. Absolute privilege, mate. Absolute privilege. It was good to reconnect, actually. As we yeah. said, came yeah. up at the right time. That's great. So, Thank you, boys. Good to see you. Thanks, man.